It's just that we should stop praising and clapping for someone who does things right. You should clap only when they do something extraordinary and go way beyond what is expected. Hi, I'm Kabul Obroy and this is Design This Way. Before I talk about today's episode, I have a couple of announcements to make. I'm speaking at brand new conference in Las Vegas this October. Apart from my other work, I'll also be talking about the Design This Way podcast and its different aspects, visual identity design and the things I learned while making this podcast. If that interests you, please get your tickets for the conference right now on bnconf.com. That's bnconf.com. Secondly, for this episode and the episodes in the future that are going to be longer than 60 minutes, I have decided to add timestamps for different sections of the episode. You can find those in the podcast notes. A lot of listeners have asked me for this and uh, hopefully this makes their experience better. Especially for the listeners who want to skip or come back to different sections of the episode at their convenience. But I would recommend you to listen to the whole episode as it is unless you are short on time. Now about today's episode. On this episode I have with me Rajesh Dahiya. Rajesh is a designer, brand consultant and design educator. He graduated from National Institute of Design Ahmedabad and later he pursued a master's program at Interaction Design Institute Ivrea in Italy. In 2004, he started his own studio co-design. As per the description on the website, they design identity and communication to connect ideas and people, creating impact for brands and value for the organizations. Since its inception, the studio has worked across industry sectors and scale. The studio takes pride in rigor and love of craftsmanship they put in everything they do and co-design has undoubtedly set standards in the quality of design work being done in India. On this episode, we talk about Rajesh Dehya's journey as a designer. He tells us how and why he started his studio, co-design. He also shares with us the thinking and the process behind some of the key projects that the studio has created thus far. Today's episode has been designed this way. Now, I present Rajesh Dehya. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kaval. Thank you so much for getting me on this podcast because I know the impressive lineup you already have. So <laughs> I feel honored. To be frank, I had decided that I will consider the whole project of me podcasting successful if I'm able to have you on my show. And I'm so happy that finally it's happening. I'm falling short of words here, but I hope I'll be able to do some justice. So, uh, the other day I was talking to your partner in work and life, Mohar Ray, and she told me that uh, she found you purposely seated on a stool in front of a washing machine at 1 a.m. in the middle of the night and you were just sitting there and observing the machine do its work. I mean, who does that? I mean, what's so fascinating about a machine <laughs> and uh, what were you thinking? 
Well, thank you for making this part of my life public. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get easily fascinated by things around me and the night that she's talking about or rather early morning that she's talking about is I've seen washing machines before that I've used washing machines but I think that night I just thought about this light gray metal box mm -hmm. quietly doing its job and I just wanted to observe what kind of tricks does it do with the clothes is it a straightforward <laughs> spinning what if I don't know about this machine that is within my house and it has been there for so long right and it'll be it'll be such a missed opportunity if it did something interesting and I did not know about 1 a.m. is actually a very normal time for me to do things uh, so, <laughs> so I dragged a stool I put a jacket inside and I observed and it was fascinating I perceived the procedure not so mechanical as I thought it would be. As in? What does that it mean? It has a lot of built-in variations. It sometimes stops rotating as if it's sort of checking the fabric. <laughs> then it sort of topples it a couple of times to the right and a couple of times to the left. Aligns, I think, itself to it. Checks whether there's enough water. Then spins it hard. Stops. Observes talks to the fabric, again does something. The other thing I actually um, was fascinated by, does it leave soap in the fabric? Do washing machines leave little bit of soap in the fabric? I can go on. So this podcast can be about washing machines. So. Let's do that. But, uh, <laughs> so I have a very skeptical mind. So I always thought they don't do a great job. And do they leave a little bit of soap in my clothes? I actually sat down, hardly blinking, for almost 45 minutes. <laughs> and I was quite satisfied that it actually does a great job of rinsing it really well and removing the soap. So I, I'm quite happy. I'm, re I'm a relieved person. I should have done this like 10 years back. <laughs> so, one more mystery solved in yeah, your life. Yeah, one more mystery solved in my life. I, I, I actually patted the machine for a great job. <laughs> Well, uh, so you grew up in a small town called Rothak in Haryana, in a middle class family. And growing up, your father was a professor of mathematics and your mother a homemaker. Yes. And uh, how was uh, your life in Rothak and what were the dreams and aspirations of a small town boy like yourself? So, I actually grew up partly in Rothak um, mm -hmm. uh, when I turned seven or eight, I can't remember. So, me and my brother were sent off to a boarding school in Haryana, it was a sports school. Right. So, Rothak for me, post that was a city where I spent my vacation time. Then I later on, after class 10th, I was shifted to a day school in Rothak. So yeah, I spent three years continuously there. Now when I look back, yeah, I can sort of talk about it on what I did, what I learned, uh, what was it like to grow up in a small city. But um, when you're growing up in a small city, that's your world. So it's not right. small, it's not big. And um, we were not travelers as a family and I can't recall of any other family in Rothak within my circle which was traveling to actually compare whether you are in a small city or a big city. Right. For me it was the world, the whole world was right there. So. <laughs> right. How would you spend your days? A lot of uh, my guests have grown up drawing 
or creating some kind of craft <laughs> and so on or were you like a kid who would uh, draw or create things no i was not one of those extraordinary kids so i mean uh, like any other kid i used to draw um, i believe there are two kinds of parents that exist in this world first kind are they let the kids draw mm-hmm. the second kind they for whatever reason uh, they, they they stop their kids from drawing there is no third kind of parent in the world so mine thankfully had no issues with me drawing oh, but they they were not the kinds who would say oh there is some potential let's get him an art teacher right now okay you are drawing you keep drawing Hmm. there's no bonus for that we <laughs> won't stop you from doing that so i've ruined a lot of walls like many other kids and um, i don't think till i joined formal art classes in boarding school uh, i i did not even realize that that it was anything to talk about that you draw so i was drawing as well as i think any other kid when i was a kid so and also like uh, when when you went to a boarding school it was a sports boarding school were you planning to become a professional sports person when you will grow up was it no uh, so sports actually for at home um my parents had very simple rules like you have to wake up early and go out you have to go out of house <laughs> which basically meant not loitering around but you go and for a run right there there are a lot of colleges and schools and universities in rohtak so you can always go to any college grounds and find right. people playing three four different sports you can just join them right so sports was a, a normal thing there it was not really something which was deviating from mainstream in rohtak rohtak right. like most of the kids that was a routine that you do the way you eat you sleep you play a sport or you right. go for a run if yeah, nothing so a stereotype for haryanvi youth <laughs> yeah so so sports school was not really for sports it was unfortunately or fortunately uh, one of the good schooling options in haryana it right. was uh, motilal nehru school of sports the, the reason was to uh, get good schooling right uh, academically my school if i now look back my time it was very strong mm sport the only thing that you can call sports was that sports was compulsory you can't join that school and say i'm not going to join a sport so that was right. rule number the name has sports and it has sports in it the it was also they had to change the model long back when in 70s it was made it was actually made to train athletes and sports men and women right but it did not find much traction i think within a few years of its traction nobody wanted to give away their child uh, who obviously has a lot of potential to become a doctor or an engineer otherwise <laughs> uh, the two potential in, career for indian indians yeah. yeah so then they made it a regular school where sports because the kind of facilities they no uh, they had they they nobody knows that we had a very strong uh, art and crafts and theater culture in school right i've also learned that uh, the school had an interesting environment where you had to do social work as a part of the school curriculum where you would take care of uh, even the cows and buffalo of the school uh, also you had to make your own furniture and so on i mean this is unheard of to some extent yeah i think i it was, i was quite lucky to actually go to a school where supw you actually did supw what it did was and i think it was not really limited to those classes right. where we it was quite uh, a regular exercise for school to send students and teachers to nearby villages right so sometimes you're talking to 
villagers, especially kids, for health issues. Sometimes you are demonstrating like cleaning of a part of a village. Uh-huh. It was a great experience because when you are like one or two hours into the job, you start seeing other villagers also join you and clean up the streets. Right. Oh, yeah, and then taking care of animals, taking care of streets, general exposure. Because once you're done with that exercise that day, the kind of hospitality that comes after that from villagers was amazing. So you spend two, three hours with them just chatting. Right. I mean, they always used to wonder why we are cleaning the streets. But once they saw that there was an actual brick-laid street underneath, right. after four or five inches of dirt, they, even some of them were surprised that there was an infrastructure, kind of an infrastructure underneath. Right. But um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed those instantly, but it, mm-hmm. it took some time. It was amazing. So, the school, I, I, I actually visited many other schools after that and I realized, oh my God, my school. Sometimes the academic block of a school that I visited in Delhi was smaller than my library building. So, so. <laughs> right. Uh, but but you know, I I am that kind of a guy who realizes this thing only when the time has gone. So yeah, I regret that uh, for many things in my life. I I don't think I utilized the library that well, or the sports facility that well, or the all the kind of teachers who who was very, very interested to sort of make me excel in studies. But overall, yeah, it was nice uh, sort of a character building, lifelong learning kind of uh, space for six, seven years. Right. And uh, up until that point, the word design uh, might not have entered your vocabulary. What was your first brush with the design world? I, uh, it was... uh, selection by rejection Mm -hmm. so I was easily rejected by engineering and medicine because I was not a capable student to write those exams and although in class 12th I had both um, bio and mathematics mathematics. right because my father believed I had a great potential simply because all my reports since class 4th mentioned that I can do better. He, I think, <laughs> took it literally, and I knew what the teacher meant. So mainstream options go. And and didn't decide to be a sports person. No, I, w- I was not so good at that. Also, so arts. Uh, well, yeah. So I, I was, uh, I joined uh, fine arts sort of classes. So we had uh, drawing classes every week mm-hmm. throughout the boarding school, and uh, the like sports facilities. Every other facility was like in abundance. Right. My art teacher really liked me and my classmate Rajiv Gautam. So he used to give us keys to the art room and the art supplies room. Art supplies room keys are important. There are two different rooms and you could just pull out any number of canvases, oil oh. paint, anything that you want. He trusted us with that and we, wow. we could uh, we could experiment with media, we could draw whatever we want, we could paint whatever we liked. We could do that post-class sumas. Right. But it never occurred to me as a profession because it was never talked about as a profession. So 
because my father was a principal at this polytechnic so i could overhear a lot of conversations about civil engineering oh, he used to take us to as kids he used to take us to workshops in the right. polytechnic and i used to just observe these large machines sewing right. machines lathe machines and you know some machines were just checking the strength of bricks and cement blocks so it was fascinating to see all that and once in a while this word was uttered design architecture architecture design no <laughs> by, by by you know that time even mainstream newspapers were not even talking about design in fashion design term they don't even talk about hardly talk about design uh, anyways they mostly talking about accessories that time uh, they were not even talking about it so regularly so i used to hear once in a while this word architecture and uh, mm-hmm. well you are sort of understood what this person does mm-hmm. and slowly you could see couple of signs in the market saying mm-hmm. so and so architects right right so there was a profession i i thought that's what i want to do and um, there was the senior of mine from school my brother's batchmate mm-hmm. vinod gehlot So he was in uh, Delhi University, Saint Stephen's. So he, he me, me and him sort of got along because both of us used to play basketball. So he, I don't know why, but he cared for my future. So he used <laughs> to always get some material photocopied from his library whenever he will come to Rohtak. Right, right. And he encouraged me a lot on that I need to get out of the city. I had fallen in love with my small city, comfortable life, and right. I thought, oh, what if I just uh, you know join this polytechnic and um, you know become a civil engineer? Right. But the architecture made sense to me, not because of this word design, but because there was an act of making something. Yes. definitely it was sort of better than engineering. engineering because i had a lot of engineering sort of talks around me throughout childhood and my brother was uh, studying mechanical engineering and i used to go through his books so i knew that that's not what i want to do because it sort of had those same formulas that i hated in class 11th and 12th <laughs> but i used to like solving his um, those form exercises where right. you know you're given a front view and a oh, top yeah. view and then you have to draw some other view and yeah. I loved solving that yeah, yeah, yeah. and I could connect those dots of oh I like doing this there is this architect who yeah. does makes houses right it is like engineering sans all the mathematics and Mathem- other yeah, things that comes yeah, with it right yeah. I mean there was a I think there was a visual output to yeah uh, so so this friend of mine you know he gifted me um, a couple of books and one of the books was uh, atlas shrugged by ayn rand and i was not much of a fiction reader unless it was like some sort of uh, racy stuff mm-hmm. uh, but i i gave it a try and i actually finished that book and i fell in love with architecture i mm. fell in love with howard rourke i made that mistake of falling in love with architecture because the next step is to actually now find out how to get into <laughs> school of planning and architecture delhi you know which was your uh, yeah that that's it. That, that's that's what i wanted to do i <laughs> now need to get into 
SP Italy. Right. That would be your closest brush to design, if you may. The design hasn't featured. Okay. okay. There's no such thing as design yet. So right. It's architecture. Okay? Right. It's architecture. Yeah. Uh, even at that time, if somebody told me, "Hey, there is design," and let's assume I understood what design is, right. I think it would have be still been architecture. Right. Right. Because right. by then I had already earmarked well-designed houses in Rostock, and the <laughs> ugly ones, I used to just cycle around to just looking for. Um, well-designed houses. Right. There were very few of them in my list. So did you try for SPA? Yeah, I, I tried and I failed miserably because um, <laughs> I went into the examination hall thinking they are going to ask me to make a house or, or at least give me give me some sort of problems where they can evaluate that uh, do I have the, the, the right to, capability yeah. and sense to become an architect. But when I entered the hall and I looked at the, the test paper and they wanted to know the potential energy and kinetic energy of a ball traveling at a certain distance and all that. And I was like, why would an architect want to know the potential and kinetic energy of this traveling object? Right. I mean, now if I look back, I can try and connect the dots and see why, because, uh, you know, yeah, they yeah, were okay. checking whether I was paying attention in school, you know. <laughs> I mean, and architecture, obviously, you, you, you need to be good in maths. Right. I just uh, wish they had asked me more about height and distance sort of subject question. <laughs> I can solve that because I can visualize the problem. Right. I think I disliked science and maths because I just could not visualize them. I, I, could, not, I could not figure out where and when I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. um, I could see my interest influencing me to mm -hmm. stress harder to understand a problem. I think it was that. I think, uh -huh. uh, I, uh -huh. think I was refusing to understand things. So, <laughs> somewhere I knew that if nothing else, I'll join an art school. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, I even tried for that College of Arts Delhi mm -hmm. and I failed there also. But those two, as failing in SPA test and failing in College of Artists, also sort of made me realize that maybe I'm living in a world where I think I am capable and I'm intelligent. And actually I can be a designer, why should I be an engineer or a doctor? So How did you discover design? Uh, same person, Vinod Gehlot, he again came to rescue when he realized I did not make it to architecture. So he talked to me about, so these are post-basketball game discussions when you are dead tired after two hours of playing in you know, summer, lying down on the ground and just looking at the sky and talking. Uh -huh. And he told me about this institute in Ahmedabad, uh -huh. National Institute of Design. And he told me how our um, English teacher daughter also had graduated from there and she's doing this and that and I, I, I was I was listening to him but um, but I was listening to him with lesser hope than I had before SPF <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then he, and I asked him, I respected him a lot, so I ought to listen to what he's saying. Right. And I asked him to uh, tell me more about what is this design. Right. He, he talked about certain products. Specifically, I remember he talked about Futura pressure cooker and he said... Which is Hawkins Futura. Hawkins Futura cooker. Right. And it actually had come to market 
recently and hence I can understand why he gave that example. Mm -hmm. And he said, look at this pressure cooker, mm -hmm. you know, like how it's different. Right. And then he gave me a few more examples and what actually touched me was that I sort of understood the aesthetic part of it, that right. they were better looking than right. the other products. Ordinary, the generic yeah, ones. Yeah, right. but what caught my attention, and I think both of us then chatted till very late. Mm -hmm. He came over and we chatted. And what caught my attention was how they perform better. Mm -hmm. How functionally they are superior to others who are not, the products that are not designed, designed. per se. Yeah. Uh, or let's say lesser effort of designing was involved in those products. Right. And that, that I found fascinating. Right. There is a profession in which you are taught to make things better, things can perform better. More efficient. More efficient. More aesthetically beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, wow, I didn't know there is a profession which does that. And that's quite silly, right? Because you are surrounded by products and some of them are well designed. Right. And, and I... I actually, I wouldn't say I had sleepless nights. I pretty much slept well for next two, three <laughs> days. But uh, this, this thing, it was with me, this, right. this, with me that you thought you're a little bit better than others. You know, you can mm. draw well. Mm. You think science could have been better, like uh, the, you know, the way it was taught is right. not good for me. <laughs> and how did I miss this thing? in front of me that there are some products that are designed yeah. better than others and, and done by some people actual some people, people. there's a profession how, behind it yeah right? that that really confirmed that i was such an ordinary person <sighs> and i thank god and i i made it a habit that every few months i tell myself that how ordinary i am the moment i realize i don't know about something right and that's a really nice check to have every few months when you discover oh how come I didn't know about this? How come I, I how come I failed to notice this? Right. And then you reset the button. Oh damn it, you ordinary person, now start working hard <laughs> and become better than who you are right now. Right. So that, that sort of affected me. And, and then of course the, the gears started running on how do you get into this institute. And I talked to a lot of people who I found out through my limited network, minus mm -hmm. email, minus mobile phones. We didn't even have landline that time in, at my place and found a couple of people who had uh, the experience of applying uh, to NID. Okay. So I went to them, I traveled from Rohatak to Delhi. They were studying in uh, SPA. Mm -hmm. They had opted for SPA rather than, rather NID. than NID. So you could imagine <laughs> what I was going through. But okay, I'll take this uh, second best option, you know. But and I Can go you tell to tell me how to get into the school you rejected. Yes, <laughs> tell me. I'm so interested. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I failed this test, and you passed that. And so I met these people, and I, I when I say I met these people, you had to travel around 80 kilometers, 65 of those kilometers by bus, and yeah. another 15 by more DTC buses, and then you reach Maharani Bagh in South Delhi, and then you go to this hostel and these cool chaps are hanging around in the hostels, you know, and then there was these girls also in the boys' hostel. And I was like, dude, this is the test I failed. <laughs> uh, and okay, but then, um, the, yeah, they, they, whatever they could tell me about when I did, they told me. And whatever I heard, 
I became more and more interested that mm. it is not just product design. Mm -hmm. you know, there's textile mm -hmm. design, there's furniture, there's right. filmmaking, there's animation design, and I. Graphic design? I, nobody mentioned graphic design. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, nobody does now. Yeah. So I, I but the, when, when they started mentioning video, you know, right. like I, I was like, oh, that's, I can relate with that. I'll make yeah. films. So that day onwards, I thought I'm going to go to NID, for which I have not even applied yet. And I'll <laughs> make films. So, yeah, um, getting to NID became a goal, a right. real goal, the only goal. And my escape to the city. By then, I, I had started seeing the city in a very different way because I'm out of school, I have one year to kill, and I'm looking at the city from a very different point of view because I'm doing nothing. My other friends mm. have gone to IITs or RECs or they've gone to AIMS to um, study medicine. I am the one who's left behind. I mean, there were a few others who were left behind, but then that itself scared me when I when I compared the ones who are left behind the ones who have left. I said, "Oh shit, I I need to leave." <laughs> uh, and I also wanted to um, give some comfort to my parents, right? You know, to to that that I I am going to do something, you know, because I've seen um, like uh, since childhood, you know, they they worked hard. They've worked hard only and only for one thing that how me and my brother do something with our lives right have a better life than them yeah i've never seen them shopping i've never seen them go out eat or travel so they were just mostly everything every interaction was around become a better person and do something with your life those two right. goals so you know that well, there was that pressure of right. um, that you need to do something so yeah uh, mm -hmm. and i did uh, I tried to apply for an ID, but it was too late because you know they they start taking in uh, in October. In October, I missed yeah. that date. So and anyway, you spent a whole year training. For yeah, it? I, I spent a whole yeah. year actually just uh, drawing and trying to know more about what is this thing hmm. design all about. And it was very difficult to do it in absence of internet. But anyway, Vinod, again, kept photocopying some books, but mostly on drawing. Mm -hmm. But that was perfectly fine. So yeah, I was doing that. I was mostly drawing and also acting as if I'm preparing for engineering and medicine also. Why? Because Why I didn't want my parents to live with this tension that I have one year of doing nothing, but preparing for an exam, which right. I don't know I'll get in. Right. So I, I, and for a profession that they don't know how it will make money. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> I, so the way they never stopped me from drawing, they never considered it as a waste of time. They also did not interfere with this. Yeah. Will he make money? I mean, the fact that they were fine that I could go to College of Art. Right, right, right. Design right. still looked like there is some <laughs> some money, uh, some currency yeah. at the end of the tunnel. So yeah. Um, I've also heard an interesting story about your NID entrance exam. So I learned that uh, on the day you were going to appear for the exam, midway your scooter broke down and you ended up being late for the exam by 45 minutes. And uh, what was going on <laughs> in your head at that time? And yeah. uh, uh, one year you spent preparing for this exam and uh, when you were appearing for it, Breaks down. Yeah. What, so, what was your reaction? so I because I lived in Rohtak and uh, examination center was in Delhi uh, right. near Connaught Place. So I I came a day before to my uncle's place and I stayed there. And his son decided to 
help me out by giving a ride. Mm -hmm. So 7th January, I think 7th or 9th, I think 7th January, uh -huh. Delhi winters and right. uh, around Dhola Kua, never had a flyover that time. Dhola Kua, his scooter breaks down. So, so I, I, and I, that was one goal for last one, one year. Right. And I had this bag with me. It was not a shoulder bag. It was actually, I think, Metro shoes, a polythene bag in which I had my stationery. <laughs> something borrowed from a friend because it was a really cool bag. So, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I basically rolled it up under my arms and I started running in the direction of that place. Right. I had never seen that place. I was not very familiar with Delhi, but my uncle, he told me which left to take. And yeah, it's quite funny. This is this um, road from Dholakua towards President Estate. Nice wide road, winter. Thanks to sports school, running was not a problem. But I was... <laughs> uh, so I ran, I ran and I reached this T-junction and I took a left turn and I see... Uh, what is that? What Murti is it called? It's... Um. Are you talking about Dandi March? Dandi March, Wala right, March. Yes, yeah. Right. So there is Gandhiji pointing into the, the direction of St. Columba School right. and telling me, go that side, run, <laughs> run that side. And I, I, I still remember, I took that glance and literally thanked him. And, and I just ran and I reached uh, the center and it was yeah something like 40-45 minutes late. I'm ushered in and I meet this gentleman there. He's dressed up all in white. Later on, I came to know his name, uh, MGD Nair. He was head mm -hmm. of education, admin part, head of education, admin. And he saw me, obviously, I must be looking somewhat different than others because I ran quite a lot. <laughs> I had to run quite fast. I told him this is what has happened. So he, he did not take much time. He said, all right, we'll let you in and we'll give you this much extra time. Mm -hmm. I actually had no hope because every story I've heard about getting late into an entrance examination like that, like you're out. So I, when, when that person told me you can come in and he, he even mentioned that he understood what I'm going through. The need to get through that, that examination became even higher. Like, I really want to go to this place where people are so flexible. Right. And uh, I went in and uh, fortunately my, my, uh, my school friend from class fourth, right. Rajiv Gautam, was sitting right there. Right. And I'm going through the sheets and like what kind of questions, because I think I was looking for some mathematical equation right. or some physics uh, problem to be solved right. and it wasn't there so I was relieved. And one particular question I remember from that, we were asked to think of five uses of a used cycle tire tube mm -hmm. and then draw it out to illustrate how, uh, wow. to show the usage. And, and man Kabbal, I knew at that time that this is the place. They are asking the right questions. Right. And I was, if I, if I was good at anything at all till that date, I was so good at figuring out why this question, any question is being asked of me and mm -hmm. why is it being asked of me now. Right. I have survived my school 
by 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 this trick of why is this question being asked of me so when i saw that question i actually looked at my friend uh -huh. and i found him looking at me <laughs> and we both without making any gesture were acknowledging let's get into this place this is the place it wants to know five uses of a used cycle side tube this is it i so i think somewhere i understood design or right. and i was so fascinated oh my god this is it i need to get into this place right. and uh, i i did well i did not really need extra 45 minutes i was so so excited i was so thrilled right but this is a doorway where the guard is asking you questions right that you you love the questions right you love it's not because you think you can answer those you already want to hug the that guard who asked that question who asked that question that right i like you man you your questions are so nice you know right. <laughs> so right. Right. i want to get into this castle of yours you know? so yeah so yeah i got through i mean i at least got through the first phase and then there was a workshop the interview the workshop so, yeah. did you have a portfolio back then <laughs> no, I didn't know what portfolio meant. So yeah, so when we, me and Raji went for uh, the workshop and entrance examination, so you had to travel to Ahmedabad for that. Right. We were very simple kids, you know, from very simple boarding school. So we, you know, both of us went to New Delhi railway station to book our tickets. People like us, we we want to create moments out of everything. Right? <laughs> so we so we we looked at the list of trains and yeah. because we had never travelled by a fast train. So we we were <laughs> in that list. We were trying to figure out which one is the fastest train to Ahmedabad. Man, we want to take that. It will be a great experience. We were not thinking about how to prepare for that interview yeah. or that workshop. So we anyway reached there and then we. We decided to reach there a couple of days before, so so that we could hang around. We spoke with some seniors, and then we saw other students who were applying. Mm -hmm. And one thing we couldn't help notice was they were carrying really big size portfolios, and and we saw that, and we noticed that we don't have this thing. Mm -hmm. which everyone seems to have right. and uh, so we started stopping some of those students uh, and we were hanging around for that long they thought we are seniors <laughs> so so we asked them to open it show it and we said oh god we don't have much of that so because you have a portfolio right portfolio yeah. yeah i had few paintings but i had taken a photograph of those paintings mm -hmm. with a rented uh, hot shot camera with a flash obviously you couldn't <laughs> see anything in the right. photograph and it looked terrible compared with the uh, uh, those portfolios. So me and him sort of inside. What do we do? So we we went to library and we asked them to give us old newspapers and we took that and we right. went to a stationery shop nearby. Bought a lot of uh, a huge amount of black ink and brushes. Right. And we started uh, sketching whatever we could see. Right. Um, the NID lawns, the architecture regular people who were going in and out of the interview room mm -hmm. so i mm -hmm. ended up i could recognize mgd nair because he let me in during the right. uh, entrance exam so i drew him out of his signature mm -hmm. i'm pretty good at uh, copying signature because most of my life i've copied my father's signature and report <laughs> cards uh, other signatures which i will not talk about in this podcast so <laughs> 
So I made his portrait using only his signature. Right. And there was this psychoanalyst, Pulin Gurg. He was wearing this dhoti and kurta, and apparently he was a nightmare. People were coming out mm. crying. Mm -hmm. So when, whatever I could see of him coming in and out, I, I drew him with a gun, uh, very typical Gabbar-like, Gabbar Singh-like uh, portrait. <laughs> so the, yeah, so I made my portfolio on some the sort of portfolio there, right. and uh, I managed to get in. Get in. They finally, I think, somebody saw some hope in me, and they let me in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Whoa. that's what it was. So let's talk about NID now. So um, you finally managed to get into NID, which was your dream school. Uh, do you remember, or what kind of curriculum did you have at that time? If I were to count some milestones then I think getting into a design school was one very important one for me. It's, 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 it's changed me in many, many ways and I, I guess any undergrad courses do that to many people. So again, you have to double check that there was nothing extraordinary about you. So um, <laughs> when, you, when you go there and you're actually literally stepping out of your comfort zone for the first time in your life. Uh, although coming from a boarding school, you become really good <laughs> at sort of adapting right. as well as adopting. Uh, but I was quite fascinated by when I joined and you were used to hearing not more than two or three languages all this while, but now you can hear a dozen right. languages. Uh, right. the, the environment was very open. It was open for ideas. You know, you know, the, the fear that you have lived all your life from this teacher slash professor, you know, all right. your life you've been hiding away from them, you're ducking under the desk and here, you know, the same people are sort of, they're encouraging you to interact more, so they're, they're listening to you, they're trying to solve things for you, they're trying to help you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and even post-studio life at six was again, your seniors are again uh, trying to help you out if you need anything. Right. It was, uh, by open, I mean uh, it opens you up to have a friendlier discussion with somebody at two in the morning if you find them standing in the corridor and it's perfectly right. fine. That, what discipline did you take? So you don't, you don't get any discipline when you join an ID. So first year is called a foundation course. So right. everyone who joins has to go through that for one year. Right. I obviously wanted uh, to make films. Right. Uh, first year was, as they call, the year of unlearning. Mm -hmm. I, I found almost every sentence coming out of that campus so fascinating. First year is when you are unlearning right. a lot of things. And what kind of things are you unlearning? In the sense that you can ask questions. You, you, hmm. There is always more than one way to do a certain thing. Right. So if an assignment is given, there's no one way to prove where this ball is going to land, right. at what velocity, <laughs> and there is no other way for this ball to go anywhere else. Right. You, you get zero marks to say, and I threw this ball and it never came back. <laughs> you right. know, I, I don't want it to come back, or, right. or I want it to gain unreasonable velocity so that it breaks this opponent's bat. So it's that. It, right. it, physics never helped me in my own script. 
right. when I used to play cricket, I wanted to break that guy's bat, you know. Right. But then, you know, it has to follow the laws of physics and right. it used to mostly land uh, outside the boundary. So That's also a difference between uh, natural science versus arts, yeah. humanities as they call it. Yeah. Like, I also fell into the similar trap of, you know, when I was in... Uh, uh, school, of course, uh, I wanted to be a scientist. Later, when I started developing as a designer, I realized that that's not how things happen in design. You you get to see things differently and uh, no. those natural laws don't restrict you no. from seeing it differently. It's a human-made thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, so, yeah. So, it was fascinating to basically being given time and opportunity to to explore more than what you are capable of now. Right. Uh, well, more time actually meant you don't sleep <laughs> because days are similar in a design school as in other schools. But, uh, and the fact that you to become good at something, you have to keep doing it. You have to do a lot of it. And from this frame and mental model where you work hard to understand that one and only one concept in school. Right. Here you're working hard to find out if there is any other answer. Mm, uh, right. And to also hone your skills better. Right. Whatever you are today, you can become better tomorrow. And everyone, literally everyone around you wants to support that. That changes everything. Because I am not that kind of a guy who in isolation against all odds will work hard. I will go with the flow. Nobody's working hard, I won't work hard. So, um, but then, of course, the subject started fascinating yeah. me. There were professors who will come and say bizarre things like, line is a point going for a walk. <laughs> and it took me long to figure out, you know, as you are walking back from your studio class and you're wondering, I understand what this guy said. Right. But how come I can't say such things? And <laughs> <laughs> so, stuff like that. And also, uh, this discipline of that. When the, I think I was actually fascinated with this very open environment, mm -hmm. but very particular about certain things at the same time. You're very open to different ideas, but you're very particular that you have to be in class at 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. When I say you need to show me 50 drawings of this, they cannot be 49, but they can very well be 51. Right, right. I liked this discipline of exploration. Right. right. And it is perfectly fine if you come up with a stupid idea. Right. And I was also impressed by myself that I was sort of cracking it. I could right. see it that I am getting it right. drop right. by drop. I'm getting it. I, right. So there is something tells you that I think I can become better. Right, right, right. And uh, you know Rajiv, I mentioned to you, my right, uh, right. friend from school, he also uh, got through an idea and both of us were roommates and I remember we were working so hard I don't recall stepping out of campus during first year unless we had to make a call home or occasionally go for a film, but we did not step out of campus. We used to go to studio, come back to our room 
with all the work and paints or bottles or whatever equipment was required for that course. And we used to then work till dinner, go for dinner, come back and then work till six in the morning because that was the Calico factory siren that will go off around six. Right. And I don't remember sleeping any day before that siren. Ah. And we used to see these other students go for coffee and chai right. and I also learned that uh, you were working so hard that you were told by your professors to not work so hard and relax for a bit. Yes, uh, it was Balram. <laughs> right. Uh, Balram who then went on to uh, start, start uh, DJ, DJ Academy. So Balram was head of education when I was a student and I remember in one of the reviews he came to me and said if you work any harder, I will give you a repeat. <laughs> and when Balram says anything, mm -hmm. he means it. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, but what he was saying was that look around. Right. You know, so it's okay to walk around right. doing nothing, observing people. Right. Was it also because of your background that you, you wanted to work really hard to be ahead of other folks? That also comes from like being from small town, from middle class and having this kind of thing that you want to see yourself succeed and... I, th I think I wanted to, uh, A, I wanted to become better at something. Mm -hmm. I was not good at anything and uh, there were people around me who were good at different things. And I also had to wait for some time compared with others because my right. friends were now in second year of their, you know, IITs Whatever, and huh. medicines and right. I was, yeah, no, I had no intention of becoming better than anyone. Um, but I, I just, I just realized I was so interested in whatever is being taught. Right. And I, I sometimes used to wonder when a lot of my batchmates knew some of those things already. Mm -hmm. And I was so fascinated by these guys. Who are these guys? <laughs> they know this already? Right. I, you know, when, when photography class started, I did not know what a positive is and I, or what a negative is. Whoa. Yeah. But I also knew how to keep a straight face when that's being told. <laughs> uh, so, and moment there was chai break, I used to run to library, issue the 35mm handbook. Mm -hmm. I remember first night of uh, that course, I just read that book from first page to last page. Wow. And next day, everything made sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, the, those are the things you, you do because you'd realize that interest is only going to take you somewhere. Uh, right. you, you need to equip yourself with history of design, the technology right. uh, that's relevant to design or the course you're in. And the fact that I had to also fight this um, drawing skill of mine because I was quite good at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, way better than most of my batchmates mm. but I had to consciously fight that because my project started using that more or, or I mm. will find comfort in that skill. Right. I mean you started uh, seeing that those skills uh, gave you an edge so other skills would suffer because of that. Yeah and, and I thought why well, I'm, I'm not exploring other stuff so I remember this course called Basic Material. It's a course where you are introduced to various materials and processes. Mm -hmm. What uh, the curriculum actually is doing in first year is that it is sort of setting up some fundamentals for you in skill, in theory, in processes, in materials so that when you get to choose your 
specialization. You are well informed about what is about there and dining. What's there, and, and you take an informed decision. Right. Oh, so basic materials, I remember again, uh, Pradyumna, who later on became director, he was coordinating that. And again, he told me that if you work any harder, I'll give you a repeat. And when two <laughs> professors tell you that, because I, I was so fascinated by materials. And um, I think the workshop uh, staff, I got along very well with them. Right. So I could operate most of the machines because of my school. Right. And then I had seen these machines in my father's uh, polytechnic. Mm. So... Um, I was quite comfortable with tools, mm. uh, so I actually realized one staff member noticed that I could use most of the tools with left hand as well as right hand. Mm. Uh, so I got on very well, and I I, I still so remember when you were piece. told by two professors that you know you need to chill the f out. What was your reaction, and how did you counter those uh, tendencies of yours? I, I I was actually quite happy that someone noticed it, right? Because I was not the only one working hard. Mm -hmm. That campus, everyone worked hard. But I think what they were trying to tell me, which I just said, they just wanted to do something else to, apart from to, this. Yeah, look up a little right. bit. Honestly, I know what they meant by looking up. You know, observe. What's I had observed so, so many people all my life. <laughs> because, you know, when your father wants your scooter to be fixed, mm -hmm. I go and get it fixed. And when it's getting fixed, I have a chat with the mechanic. Both me and my brother, we were, we were just trained by our parents doing these things at a right. much, much younger age. Right. To go to post offices, to go and do a telegram, right. do a registered post, do some work in the bank. Right. Buy vegetables, acquire that skill of how to recognize a fresh cucumber from a stale one <laughs> and how to negotiate. How right. to, so it that was, was, it was there. there naturally. I've sat with uh, people while, while they're fixing your shoes for like an hour and just observe and ask and chat with them. So right. There well, was you no felt like uh, that was unnecessary to spend time on in college or so on? No, I mean, I, I never thought that it has to be done consciously. Right. I mean, it's, it's part it of that. part of the Because life. I already had become good friends with the hmm. phone booth guy outside mm -hmm. uh, or the grocery guy outside. So right. it was, uh, but I understand where they were coming from. They did not, they did not know that part of my life. Hmm. But I, I, I think I understood and it, it, I sort of then took it to a level where let me start reading more about, let's say, history. Maybe I, I, I mean, I know how to talk to people. But I don't know much about the history of my profession and right. uh, the projects that you mentioned. So I actually started hijacking my projects in such a way that I, I, I chose subjects in history. Right. So for history of design, anyway, right. I studied uh, history of uh, cameras. Mm -hmm. For project one, I studied history of typography of 20th century. We because totally missed the conversation around the point of why and how did you switch from uh, film to graphic design? <laughs> why did you even choose? No, I did not switch. I was made to select graphic design. Mm -hmm. in, in that time curriculum, you do not specialize in second year. You go to visual communication or industrial design after first year. Right, so right, you're right. still not doing graphic design, exhibition design, animation, right. video. You're still doing visual communication. Right. So uh, in second year, again, you're sampling different 
uh, it's a different more, more differentiated yeah. so yeah but, we uh, made films and we did uh, two three short animation films we did little bit of exhibition design right. the typography signage mm-hmm. so that again you can you you can be very sure of not just sure of what you're going to select but it's very important that tomorrow if you become a filmmaker you need to work with graphic designers or animators right so you need to feel um mm-hmm. that before mm-hmm. you need to know what it takes mm-hmm. if you don't know that then you, then you can't work with other disciplines right 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 so, so on and so and forth then you were told to select you were told yeah, to yeah after second year obviously i was quite confident i will get video because i my reports were pretty good but on the day of the selection i um so i, I yeah my name was not in the list and um by then i had become very good friends with the pushpendra nath mishra my batchmate who wanted to do video and even his name was not there so we decided as a batch to call right. the head of uh, visual communication mm-hmm. mahendra patel yeah i know mahendra patel we have him on the podcast as well by yeah. the way so we decided to call mahendra patel on a sunday to tell him that we deserve video and we were not given video and uh, to all the listeners who don't know about Mahindra Patel of 90s you can't do that you, you, you <laughs> that, that man is available to you for real problems 24 by 7 but not to sort of over rule a decision made by someone else <laughs> but we anyway decided to do that and uh, and of course we have to wait for the next day and so next day we 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 meet mahindra patel and he was he came he came i mean he, that, that way you know he he was very dedicated to academia he came but he was quite angry and he really wanted us to be you know go to the point tell us what the problem is and we told him that you know right so i my batchmates now they they i realized they used to use me for certain things and they pushed me in front and i was like oh my god oh, okay mahindra ji mahindra ji me and pushpendra wanted video and we haven't got uh, video uh-huh. what do we do and our 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 reports are pretty good mm-hmm. and he said well it's not my decision and mm-hmm. video faculty did it so i thought maybe that's not fair so i i again told him and you don't do that with mahindra bhai once you have taken <laughs> decision you you're supposed to take a u turn and go out and yeah. i stood there uh-huh. and i asked him that do you think some people were given video because they cannot practice graphic design and i am a victim of that situation that you are giving me graphics even though i wanted video and he, after that i was asked to leave the room and not return but while leaving i told him all right you can give me graphic design but can you give video to pushpendra because he came for just for, for that just for that and he's going to leave the institute if you don't do that and right. i came out right i mean later on after a couple of days you know pushpendra got with you <laughs> and i was in graphics uh, i don't have any regrets about that I, i i love graphic design but yeah so to sum it up there was no plan there was no plan for a design profession or architecture <laughs> or graphic design or also graphic design yeah no no, no that was absolutely i i I'm, i'm not i'm not a product of a plan um, i've sort of uh, wow. trickled down the cracks and somehow landed in the right place i think and, <laughs> and thanks to help of many people like 
many many people my parents you know who supported me in my foolish adventure pursued, pursued my, adventure uh, my friend vinod who kept throwing things at me to you know so that i understand design better mm. yeah so yeah. and you finally you were a graphic designer Fine. oh yeah i i i, <laughs> I actually graduated and uh, right. no but it's it's uh, i yeah not this is not planned this is <laughs> like i call myself as a product of rejection so so after nid you you applied for an internship at itu choudhury studio icd what made you choose to intern with him and uh, how did you get that internship yeah so end of end of our formal classes we uh, were supposed to do our last project which is 6 month long and uh, you need to ideally go out to industry and do work on a real project mm-hmm. second year onwards i got into this relationship with typography and i started liking it i don't know why i liked it maybe in ncert books i never saw font that's a big size that i started <laughs> seeing on campus and yeah. I, i i never i never saw them as object or the way then mahindra patel and sm shah taught us mm-hmm. which was like you know the whole um, the role of typography and mm-hmm. and how something that i was just reading was actually a processed thought laid out on paper mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know what it takes to become a good typographer thanks to my curriculum i had experience of setting type in hot metal mm-hmm. as well as uh, photo composition as well as an apple macintosh so mm. i had seen the slice and experienced the slice of sort of typography processes and i was quite fascinated how you can play with hierarchy and also i was fascinated by the form of letter forms right so when you come to this last and final project obviously you want to do it around the interests that you have mm-hmm. and during that time there were limited number of graphic design studios they did not have their websites so uh-huh. whatever you could gather from gather from your seniors etc mm-hmm. and and some and we heard about itu from a very senior batch because he had uh, taken a course there mm-hmm. we knew that there are limited seats for these projects in every studio and mm-hmm. everyone will apply to those limited four five places right i s- remember there was on the soft board there was this um i cannot recall the exact text but it was from itu's chaudhry design studio and they were asking for people to apply for final project internships or jobs right but it was written in a way that it was challenging you that do you have in in you and would you apply or something like are you interested it was so well written that i can't recall uh, because i i that craftsmanship of that writing you know that can only come from itu so i was <laughs> I, i was quite impressed with the way that poster was written mm mm-hmm. uh, and you can gauge what kind of a person i am i just can't recall it but i just remember what needed to be done as a reaction <laughs> to that So, so what did you do? So I I know one professor that I won't name him. He had a really nice stock of paper mm-hmm. in his room. Mm-hmm. So I stole few sheets from his office and I borrowed uh, very large hot metal pieces of Exidence Grotesque. Mm. And I think I 
arranged them in a way that it said, yes, I am, something like that. Mm-hmm. Took a photograph of that, mm-hmm. went and processed that photograph in a one-hour photo, mm-hmm. then scanned it, put it on a letter. And then I think I wrote some sort of a letter that mm-hmm. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to Itu's office. And then I think I also went and met him one of the trips. So I, we had a long chat and he took me to a restaurant called Sasural. We used to <laughs> then, of course, after that, we had many, many trips to that. <laughs> and we found both of us had this common interest in typography. So, right. like, I think I impressed him because I could identify the fonts in the menu. I even, oh. I even told him who the designer was and oh. which year it was designed. I think the Damn. font the font of that menu in 97 was, how do you pronounce it? Pinot? Pinot. So, mm. and I told him who designed it and when it was designed. Mm. And from our walk from the studio to the restaurants, I could identify many. Wow. I think he was that would impress anybody somewhat by the way. <laughs> fascinated by this Haryanvi who sort of could recognize fonts. I was genuinely interested in typography. I still am. And I was also genuinely interested too. After that one trip to that restaurant. Right. I knew that he's the guy. Mm. He's the guy who's going to make a man out of me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's how you got in. I got the project. So. And Itu is one of the rare geniuses in Indian design industry. And in fact, uh, my podcast with him is the most popular podcast yet. Uh, how was it having him as a mentor? And uh, what kind of projects were you working on at ICD? So soon after my final project, I joined ICD as a designer. And uh, working under him, it was like working under a, a professor, a very nice human being. And we used to share a lot. We used to go for long walks. I used to give him a lot of trouble. What kind? Uh, so I, I think mm-hmm. I even, if I'm not mistaken, I think I even ran away from the studio for a couple of days. <laughs> so I, I think I left a note uh, that I just can't take it. And I was very nostalgic about an ID and I think I went for a couple of days and then more and came back and he was fine with all that you know with all that circus I created. Uh-huh. Then I used to ask him such silly questions that why are we working midnight when our clients are sleeping. <laughs> now today when I think of it I feel so bad for him that you know he had to take all this bullshit from me. But what actually I learned that it is perfectly fine to take bullshit from ill-informed youngster because they know only that much. So instead of getting angry at me, he will tell me why about it. <laughs> his patience and right. his, his sort of uh, endless sort of stamina to, to bear with you and to, to teach you and teach you by demonstrating. Right. So, yeah, those were fascinating years and I'm, I will always remain grateful to that man because he is one of those very few people who would like to teach 
everything that they know and more taking you out for meals and talk about food and this man knew everything about everything but he's he's ready to share it he's not right. showing off what kind of work did you make while being there i was happy to sort of jump into anything most publications mm -hmm. identity packaging learning how content is important and how what's the relationship with design mm -hmm. uh, did you get to work on type design or typography while being there well my last project was type design which i think itu is an ace type designer and uh, and i i realized was only interested in type design right? <laughs> but not good at it right so he he taught me that and he literally like used to hold my hand sometimes Mm -hmm. and helped me make that project even helped me document it and mm -hmm. uh, so i think i eventually learned a little bit of type design after that right i was that bad <laughs> uh, but at least i i i i was conscious that i did not forget what i learned Mm -hmm. I yeah I can talk about him for hours so, but uh, yeah a lot of a lot of what I do the way I think right I will give big amount of credit to him is in like how do, he taught me how to think mm. how do you dissect something how do you look at a larger problem and break it into smaller problems identify which ones to sort of attack first right which ones are not even worth considering right so but he and but he did that with with this um, person with full of life you know like right. he, he's always <laughs> happy and that's uh, one thing about him i yeah, can't fathom and, like uh, thankfully in that case i had something to contribute you know mm -hmm. I, I think he 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 likes haryanvi humor and i think i i also like it and and so we sort of got along very well so okay. but you got interested in uh, user interface design and technology while being at icd and so uh, these are this is this is now uh, the year is late 99 2000 and uh, a friend of mine from nid product designer had made a collection of products from stone and he came to me and he approached me let like, should we start a studio and do something about it so i never admitted it loudly in nid but i actually wanted to be a furniture designer in okay uh, that's that's a twist so i <laughs> i have this love for product design and furniture right. design and when that opportunity came and then that didn't work out because his plans changed and i think i think i also realized it's not feasible but by then uh, there was this new role that has emerged in design of uh, user experience and ui design right. which is screen based so right. i wanted to explore that and uh, bangalore was the only option right that was the silicon valley of india yeah 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 so I shifted to that for two and a half years you later on went into practicing usability in uh, interface design so that was yeah two and a half uh, year stint mhm mm and at some point uh, during that phase of your life uh, you decided to pursue your masters in interaction design from interaction design institute ivrea i also learned that uh, yours uh, was the first batch of students of that institute and uh, how did you find out about that institute and what made you decide to take up that course obviously you were interested in technology and uh, things you could do with design and technology Uh, but there were so many options right why uh, so there's this another person in my life uh, like itu 
of Professor M. P. Ranjan. He had a lot to contribute in my education, starting from first year at NID, and then we stayed in touch. Late 2000, I received a mail from him about this new institute that is being opened in uh, north of Turin in Italy. And he knew that I wanted to do masters. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. My father also had this thing of that I should do masters. But then uh, my father passed away in 97 and my final year of uh, NID. So I sort of postponed those plans and I had almost forgotten about those plans. But then when I received this email and I told Ranjan that, you know, I don't think it's a feasible idea for me right now to pursue masters. But he insisted to sort of know more about it, look at the website. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this mail, I have attached uh, the application also. So he had gone ahead and downloaded the mm -hmm. application already. Wow. And but in later email exchange, he also revealed that he has already talked about me oh. to the institute. Mm -hmm. So he, 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 you, you can't stop Ranjan from his plan. That's so, like uh, some next level support. Yeah. So yeah, no, no, Ranjan. If you know him, Ranjan has a plan. He will come what may make it happen. So yeah, eventually yeah. So I, I applied and then I was interviewed over phone. I told them about that I, I definitely can't pay those many thousands of euros and stay. <laughs> but uh, but um, I I, uh, I got a scholarship. Mm -hmm. I got a scholarship that included living costs oh. and uh, money was given for food and clothing and expenses. So right. So that's how uh, Ivrea happened. It was a it was a nice break. Um, right. They it was a break from three and a half years of working. It was a break from the design that you knew existed. Right. Existed. Ivrea encouraged interaction design more from non-screen kind of interaction, not mm -hmm. making websites mm -hmm. and interfaces, but making products and experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, uh, thankfully, the institute was situated in a very small town called Ibrea, which used to be Olivetti's headquarters. You don't, don't just get two and a half years to study something new, but you also get two and a half years of your life to mostly yourself. Right, right. Away from friends, family, in a small town with lesser distractions. Yeah, I bought a cycle and cycled around Ibrea and neighboring towns. Uh, made a lot of friends, a lot of long walks, long runs sometimes. So it is a mix of all the good thing, things, all the so. good things in life and great Italian food, newer people. Right. And also you were being mentored by uh, Casey Reese, right? Yeah. Which is crazy because Casey Reese and uh, Ben Fry co-created uh, the most popular generative art programming language called Processing. You got to have him as a mentor. How was that? Well, Casey never, Casey never let you feel that way. So uh, he was this quiet but friendly, hardworking person, you know. And uh, he was always there to have a discussion. Right. So people like me, we are, are uh, what do you call those insects who sort of suck blood and live off Leech. someone else's blood. <laughs> so not that but yeah definitely i used to sort of not um, dip into other body parts but i used to go for the brains <laughs> 
So I, I yeah, I'm that guy who'll put a straw on these really cool people's head and suck out their brains and sort of you know enrich myself. <laughs> I think uh, for me, Casey is just as his presence and to sort of observe him and his output from right. a distance itself inspires you. Right. Uh, you might have learned new ways of even thinking about uh, design. There's this nice phrase in Italian. It's called piano piano. And it basically means step by step or right. step by step or floor by floor. Right. And it really suits people like me who are sort of average brained. Uh, that I'm not made for leaps. I'm made for smaller and smaller increments. Right. And I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not in a hurry. Uh, so from Rohtak to Ahmedabad was a step. And then, you know, you thought, wow, this place, this campus is so open, you know. And then you move to corporate world and then you go to Ivrya and then you realize, wow, that's, there's no end to, right. to what a place can be. There's no ultimate thing. Right. It, it's just better. Yeah. And then you, but, but what you learn is that what you thought was open, there are better possibilities to that. Mm, there's a know? step so, ahead of that. Like the way the openness uh, of brief given in assignments mm -hmm. and uh, openness of interpreting it and openness of it's okay to go completely wrong. Right. That the, the act of doing that is also important or the journey of finding out that it was a wrong solution right. or incomplete solution is also important right. was considered as good as completing assignment. Ah, and, interesting. Uh, so, but then the pressure keeps building. Right. When, when, when this fabric can be stretched all around to accommodate your qualities and your drawbacks, you need to work harder to give meaning to this fabric. The openness in a system is not built so that you can fail and still manage to graduate. Right. It's built so that you can open your own mind and heart. Right. Right. So that right. you can look the other way. Right. You can look at other technologies. You can look at other ways of doing things. You can enact a play as a solution to a problem. Wow. So, Stuff like that. So it, 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 it actually, for me, the biggest takeaway was that there are more ways to dissect a problem when it is thrown at you. Mm -hmm. You can pause it like Morpheus and walk around a problem, mm -hmm. look underneath, look from top, open it up, see what the problem is like. And the fact that you know that there are many ways I can solve this, not one way. Right. That gives you that comfort, you know, like it's closest to what you can feel of being a tindulkar. And I'm not saying I'm anyway close to that man, but you can throw anything at him. There will be a shot. Yeah, you can throw anything at him and if he wishes to do whatever he wishes to do, he will do it. But that obviously comes from number of hours and days and months and years he has spent in the nets. Right. Number of days he has observed watching others play. That's when it happens. That's when you can slow down this ball of this problem mm. or a grief that is thrown at you at 150 per hour. Mm -hmm. To a person who's not well practiced, who has wasted his life doing nothing, it looks like a fast ball. Right. Impossible to do anything. <laughs> but to someone right. who has been gifted by such mentors and this environment, there's a fraction of an advantage there mm -hmm. 
to slow that ball down and study it right and react in the best possible way right so that's what exposure and mentors are supposed to do they are supposed to train you to slow that ball down and study it before hitting it but the time given is exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> right right uh, so after your master's degree from ibria you were offered a job at volkswagen and at the same time nid uh, was planning on revising their graphic design curriculum and you were also given the chance to be a part of that and uh, both of those opportunities came at the same time and uh, you decided to take up the challenge of revising graphic design curriculum at nid uh, why did you refuse a job at such an amazing company to come back to your design school and work with them well the reasons were multiple um so Volkswagen uh, invited me to Wolfsburg which is their headquarters uh, mm -hmm. for an interview the interview went well they were looking at an interaction designer to look into the future of dashboard and i was hoping that i got a job profile that involved future of mobility oh and wonderful. not look at just one part of an automobile because then it's assured that you're still thinking of the known formats of mobility right. which is a car right uh, but they were quite open um, to hear what i had to say so i made a presentation on what i meant that mm -hmm. what does it mean to travel from point a to b i would rather be part of that team they did not have that team but, mm -hmm. but they, were, they 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 understood what i was saying so it was nothing new that i was saying i was just merely articulating my wish secondly i think two and a half years break away from home was enough and uh, i had to come back because my brother is a marine engineer he's always away mm -hmm. one of us should stay hang around home and with my mother so mm. and reviewing undergrad graphic design curriculum was one of my proposals for my thesis in ibria oh okay so it did not work out during that time and one thing that i've learned in life is when you make some sort of a commitment you should on priority look at that so i contacted an id again and uh, they offered me to look at it so i moved to ahmedabad for one year so that yeah that's so the decision was actually quite easy i had to come back mm -hmm. and uh, as a kid uh, we've grown up in an environment where you payback is a responsibility is right. an act that you have to do for me from this unknown future of a 18 year old in a small town to a place which sort of made me capable to earn three meals a day right and gave you meaning in life i mean i stay away from meaning in life kind of thoughts <laughs> because they are too heavy for me but yeah i can sort of earn a living and i am happy doing it that's right. that itself is quite satisfying for me so the, yeah that was one reason that i i yeah. felt like uh, that i had enough experience to contribute in revising that curriculum and it's a big task to think about it uh, what were the key insights that you got while uh, working it out so this was late 2003 and early 2004 right. uh, when i was working on this project i was looking at uh, what has changed since the last mm -hmm. curriculum change uh, some some of the concerns were obvious and were already felt mm -hmm. like 
that graphic design education should sort of uh, become more multidisciplinary, which mm -hmm. was there in the curriculum, but over the years a little bit more, I think, refreshing it was needed. Right. And the fact that um, design education sort of always goes hand in hand with the technology around it. So, right, right. So, you know, the way we focus in typography on printing production methods and screen printing and offset machine, the, the, then typography's role on screen. Mm -hmm. you know, how do you sort of sensitize students to that? Mm -hmm. While a lot of principles remain the same, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you don't act on it or you don't feel it and you need to stick to the philosophy of hands-on learning, right. then you need to embrace and embed that part in curriculum. Right. Most of the times we make a mistake of, oh, it's the same principles, hence I know. Knowing is very different than doing. Right. And that's one thing that I know about NID curriculum was that doing was equally stressed. Right. After learning furniture design, if you join a furniture making company, then a graduate was supposed to demonstrate how his or her idea can be made. So the know-how of material, know-how of production was as important as the idea behind a product. Right. And also like uh, I, I was recently reading a book on uh, web fonts and uh, how fonts behave on a screen. So the medium influences a lot of uh, how you should design for that medium, right? Yes. So and it's very important that medium should be a part of your curriculum. Yeah, how the sizing changes yeah. for screen. It's not a simple math. It's formula. not simple maths yeah. at all. So there is. So it's, it's a matter of, I think n knowing is important, but you need to practice, practice. it so that your hands, it, themselves can develop some memory of right. that. It's not just about, otherwise you just become a person who just knows. Uh, well, I mean, there is a role for that person. Uh, but I, I think learning by doing has always proven that it's better, that you, you don't have to remember it. Yeah, so when the challenge comes, you are doing it subconsciously and you can You know how to slow down the ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Because at that point, you can't say, wait a second, let me Google and read about it. <laughs> the ball will <laughs> hit your head by then. <laughs> so, yeah. so prepared for at least what is available as technology currently. Right. So that was one right. concern. And uh, ensuring that when you embed that, you are not losing out on certain fundamentals of drawing and color, etc. Right. So the so main aim was that. It was mostly mm. like uh, appropriating it rather than radically change it. Okay. I, I don't think I'm the right guy to radically change it, but uh, mm. I am that kind of a Jugadu guy who, who can somehow by making some phone calls to people who know better than me to pick their brains and create something. <laughs> and I still do that. So, so it, yeah, it took one year to, to put that together. It was quite detailed, uh, I think, given the time and resources, uh, sequencing of courses, all the way till the experience and qualifications of the teacher taking a particular course mm -hmm. was, uh, was written down. I was quite happy with the output. And from what I've heard, soon after that you got your big break, which was a major independent design project uh, by Levi's, which pushed you to start a studio, right? Yeah, there was no plan to actually have a studio. Like right. many other things in my life, there was no plan. So I came back and uh, I was getting in touch with my friends back in India, meeting them and most of them knew what I was doing in Italy and I came back. 
and they knew that I'm looking for projects to work on. Starting a studio was not part of the plan uh, that time, but working definitely was always a plan so, right. on some projects. So I was working on some projects here and there. And uh, so I was contacted by um, a couple of friends um, who run uh, Lotus, Lotus uh, Design, Design and Architecture. Wow. And they had a project with Levi's about a new showroom they were opening, which the showroom was showcasing uh, all the um, classics, milestone product. Right. They were recreating those selling. So it was a heritage store, mm -hmm. the first of its kind in uh, Asia, I think. It was situated in the uh, second basement of Leela Hotel in Bangalore. Uh -huh. So they introduced me to the Levi's team and uh, I had a couple of phone calls with the marketing person from Levi's and mm -hmm. understood what is needed. They wanted us to showcase their history. Time That's their a very big brief that you Got right. No, the, the, the brief was, is like, can you do like 15 panels for 15 decades of Levi's Levi. history? Right. There was limited budget when we had to do the identity for the store and do other mm, communication here, yeah. related sort of design of products. So I went to Bangalore and I um, told them that, you know, nobody is likely to be interested in reading 15 panels of your history. You know, mm -hmm. If I've come to buy a garment, right. what if there is another way of looking at it? Mm -hmm. Because by then, I mm -hmm. had learned there is always another way to do it. And There's a designer joke also on this, if you want to hear about it. Yo, tell me. How many designers do you need to change the bulb? Does it have to be a bulb? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, yeah I, I, I was sort of more productive than that. So I remember I stood in that meeting room of theirs and acted out what can happen, which is like products and uh, garments, his pieces of history. And Lotus supported me on that. They, they, they liked the idea. So on how about that I have a screen which is movable and mm -hmm. I move from day one of Levi's from the formative years to present day and the screen will change content mm -hmm. and I'll divide the, the wall into 15 decades mm -hmm. and the screen content will change as I come to let's say 1980s so from mm -hmm. 70s if I move to right mm -hmm. the content will change to 1980s and so on and so forth mm -hmm. and I had nothing no sketch nothing but just I was just stand, I, I was standing and walking with my hands sort of as if I'm holding a screen and <laughs> telling them oh you know this jacket is behind the screen right now and then the details of jackets can be found here this yeah. that. so they, they liked the idea and they said well great uh, same budget but if you can want to do it go ahead mm -hmm. uh, and I, I was like fine yeah we, we can manage and I, I, I realized I started using the word we <laughs> in that meeting and there was no we there. I, it was just you and just me and nobody. Right. So and they said, oh, as a policy, you know, we have to visit your studio. What does that mean? I mean that's funny policy, but yeah. Yeah, I mean it's basically they just want to know that does this person is this person a designer? Legit. Is it right? a legit person? Yeah. Right? Did, did he just walk up from like and downstairs? And why did he use the word we? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now that he says we, who are the others? Who are you know? the others? Right. Are they are they as disruptive or interesting? <laughs> as? So uh, yeah. So I, I I came back and I was also at that time printing an ID's brochure that I designed in Hyderabad, right. and I get a call on my phone. I was sitting in auto rickshaw from 
Hyderabad airport and I was going to Pragati printers. And the, per the person on the side is saying, Hi, uh, this is Amardeep Behel. Um, I heard you are looking for a studio space or something. How did he know? So ours is a very close network. So right. I had only met him once right. years back in a studio. But my friends were working with him. So Rajiv Gautam was working okay. with him. And I think he came to know. And uh, I said, yeah, Amar, thank you so much uh, for asking. Yes, I need space because I think <laughs> we have a project. And then he offered to um, give me his space. Ah. But then we didn't have furniture or computers. And every time I said that, he kept offering, yes, you can use, do that, use that also and things like that. <laughs> wow. And so, but then still it did not solve the problem of V. <laughs> uh, so, so, I used to play basketball with a um, couple of my friends from NID. So, Dev Kabir Malik, Mayank Rai, and then or in the evening meet other people like Bikram, I knew Mohor. Mm. So, I basically told them that guys, there seems to be, there's a project there. <laughs> so, and, uh, but the only condition is we need to have a studio. Right. They all said, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And then that's how sort of studio is formed and uh, uh -huh. that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was uh, amazed at how with such less money, everyone in the code group, we worked day and night. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's, it's a, again, product of friends <laughs> and uh, mentors, you know, right. so. How was the first meeting like in your studio now? My studio? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, this gentleman from Levi's came to studio and uh, we had, I think, around a week or 10 days to make it into a studio. Week? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, set up a studio, right. Yeah, so well, Amar had pretty, pretty much provided space and some computers and also he threw an ethernet cable from top of his floor to which came down from a window and we had internet. <laughs> and I had my laptop from my scholarship. Uh, but we were very selective about our interiors, I think. And, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, so we think, okay, let's put some curtains and, you know, Plants, really nice nursery, <laughs> plant nursery nearby. We right. bought plants from there. I had borrowed some money from my brother. But I, we did not like any curtain options. Right. And this is where like, you know, the clock is ticking. Right. We have other important stuff to and do. And you decide to? I, I decided to go to Ahmedabad, to this shop in old uh, city. Uh -huh. uh, I liked this fabric, mushroom. It's a heavy fabric, okay. but I liked it because it had these thin stripes, very closely resembled CMYK colors, thin stripes of right. cyan, magenta, right. black and yellow. And I had seen this few months back, not for my office, but I just chanced upon because I used to hang, sometimes go to Old City right. to buy fabric and, uh, and like, I, I noticed need those that. curtains in my studio. Yes, I remember, I remembered <laughs> seeing those. I said, okay, time has come now. So I went and bought the material, yeah, called my... Everybody, I got curtains. Curtains, yeah. This is my and, uh, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and again called friends like, can somebody just introduce me to somebody who makes curtains <laughs> in two days left. Wow. <laughs> so, so we got really nice curtains. I, I, we still have them, it's in my room. Oh. You can see it. Yeah. NID used to have a shop that time, so I was fascinated by Dashrath Patel's mugs. I think they were Dashrath Patel's uh, design. And I bought six, I had money only for six. Uh, six mugs, beautiful mugs mm -hmm. with a grip on it, no handle. And, uh, and uh, plants did the rest, you know, the plants in an office, 
office, make make the office look like lively and very right. intentional interiors. <laughs> and, and yeah, so we, when he came, we ordered but pizza. You, had you secured the project yet? No. Wow. Sort so. of. Sort <laughs> of. We had secured interest. Interest of the people, but no yeah. advance money coming, nothing. No, no, no. Wow. Uh, we had only secured interest and I am a master of securing interest. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, then we ordered food, well, I think we ordered pizzas and uh, I had bought a bottle of wine from Duty Free on my way back to India from Italy right. because I had around 12 euros and I didn't know what to do with those. So I bought a <laughs> bottle of wine. Maybe one day I will need this bottle kind of a thing. That so was the day? That was the day. We opened wow. that bottle and remember 12 euros Duty Free, you can get a really good bottle of Chianti. Mm. So I opened that and this guy was super impressed about the team, the team and, and we were a group of, uh, I was blessed with having my first set of colleagues and since then forever till date, very, very intelligent, highly skilled designers and, and people, very good at heart people. I'm, I'm sort of blessed with that uh, by being surrounded by sharp, well-meaning people mm. who are way well-read than I am. So I look much better around than they are around me. So, so, so <laughs> yeah, so, so that guy was quite happy that he saw what we did. And by then, we also had sort of started uh, working on some uh, basic research of what the content should be on that wall. So we were not just showing him mugs and curtains. We also right. presented to him that what kind of content should go and we should involve world history also. So he, mm. he was quite happy. And, mm. and yeah, we got, we got the project and uh, it went well? We, it went, I think it went really well. I, I, I'm, I'm so happy with that project. We, mm. I can very confidently say that in those days, you needed around 20 people and eight months to do that project. And how much did you take? We did it in four months and we did it amongst five of us. Wow. At Peanuts money. But I don't think we were looking at money at all. We were looking at how often will you get Levi's as your first client? How mm. often will they let you do a project that involves interactivity, involves electronics and sensors, content, sequencing the content, right. building relationship with physical artifacts, right. making the damn thing work technically. Right. So all that. And yeah. so it was a, a different kind of high. And yeah. I remember when I got the advance check, I had never held that kind of an amount in my hand. <laughs> and I did not send anyone from the studio to go and deposit it. What if they make a mistake in <laughs> depositing it? Because I had never had that kind of an amount in my hand. It was 27,000 rupees check. <laughs> And I went to personally to bank, double checked, and uh, I remember on. Uh, I think we were. You could deposit on. I don't know if you can still do it. You could deposit checks in an ATM machine. Right. So we. I think we wasted a couple of banking hours staring at the check. <laughs> the fact that we got advance, and then obviously post banking hours. I remember we we drove to an ATM in Vasant Kunj. Mm -hmm and deposited that check. And I stood there for five minutes if the machine will spit it out or something like that. So. And since then, 
co-design has been on a roll. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's that's how the but studio. But was started. it even co-design at that time? That time it was uh, called Ideas Foundry. Ideas uh, Foundry. Oh yeah, and, but I don't think anybody knows about it. It was a very short sort of a phase. Uh, yeah. Then how did you come up with the name co-design? Well, because of others, uh, not because of me. We 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 had a, another client by then, MSoft in Gurgaon, and mm -hmm. we used to go to their office. And I used to notice this tree in the middle of their office, and around the tree there was this, uh, beautifully made um, wooden platform to sit on. Right. And it had this lettering around it in a circle: C O D E S I G, and no space, but all same space between all the letter forms. There was no uh -huh. beginning or ending to mm -hmm. that circle, so you could read it as design code, design code, or code design, code or design. Or code design. And right. So I asked the owner of MSoft, um, Ajay Ajay Madhok. I asked him, like, you know, what is this? Like, is this a product you have for working on, or is this yeah. your company? I said, no, no, it's just we believe that good. It was a software mm -hmm. development company, and he believed that good code is like good design. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. hence, this term was coined. So I asked Ajay, um, who who came up with this? Like, does anyone own it? And he said, uh, no, Itu worked on the interiors of this project. And I've heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, it's his baby. And I was like, okay. And I had sort of, Itu came back to my life after many years. And then I sent a text message to Itu. Mm -hmm. That do you own it? And do you have something uh -huh. planned for this? Because uh -huh. I'm looking for a name for the studio. And I think, uh, it sounds good. It, it, it sounds exactly what we were thinking because before naming we were thinking of yeah. what we want to eventually do. Mm -hmm. Like can a studio be made up of a, of a group of friends, well, mm -hmm. uh, a studio that works with technology and design mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. so, so it all fits together. It fits together, co-design so and design a, code. This is a poetic moment, right? Uh, all of this fit together and then you stumble across this name and it's made by Itu. Yeah, so it, it was sort of poetic behind that hurdle because I'm now waiting for Itu's <laughs> reply. Uh, and uh, the way he is, he sort of, he just said, yeah, take it. He was almost like, I could hear him, you know. Yeah. And it was nice to to take it as a symbol of a lot of other things I have taken from him right. or learned from him. That there's now something put permanently in my studio. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, yeah, it wow. is definitely, if now after his yes, it was very poetic. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's how co-design was renamed. And how many years it has been since the inception of the studio? I guess 15? Uh, December 2004. I so that'd be 14 and a half or something like that. Mm. Mm. So you have created a big body of work in that many years. Uh, should we talk about some of the projects that you have created? Sure. Uh, let's start our discussion on your projects from uh, Nirmal Bharat Vashyatra. Uh, it was a sanitation awareness campaign that traveled 2000 kilometers across villages in five states of India. And uh, co-design was commissioned to create brand identity and communication for that program. How did you get that project and what was the brief like and uh, what kind of challenges were you solving? So we worked on this sanitation awareness campaign with uh, Quicksand in 2013. 
Quicksand uh, is another design research studio yeah. and we were um, both co-located here where we are sitting right now. Oh, in this office? In this office. In Gurgaon. Mm. Yeah. And our client, uh, Wash United, uh, NGO based out of Germany, mm -hmm. they did a great job of familiarizing us with urgent sanitation issues in low-income and rural settlements of India. Mm -hmm. And Kaval, the statistics were shocking. Mm -hmm. In India, around 275 children under 5 years of age, they die every day because of preventable diarrhea. And this is caused primarily by poor hand washing hygiene and, uh, and you're aware of the open defecation issues. In yeah, India. that's the reality that is there in rural and urban yeah. India. Yeah. And, and it's also because of uh, lack of facilities. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and our client who has had a great track record of working with this topic in Africa, mm -hmm. he had sufficient data to support how a simple act of washing hands with soap, mind mm -hmm. you, just with soap after defecation, uh -huh. before cooking food, uh -huh. and before eating can actually save thousands of lives and this was puzzling because how difficult you know it can be to communicate this simple fact yeah and also like it's something that we take for granted and why aren't people doing it right yeah and soon through our secondary research we figured right mostly it showed that most of these sanitation and hygiene awareness initiatives uh -huh. They meet with failure because of their instructive and preachy way of talking down to the target audience. Uh -huh. And if I may say, also poorly designed approach that fails to connect with the audience. Uh -huh. So our initial focus was to think of a format, you know, instead of going through the traditional route of should we just produce, you know, thousands of brochures? Yeah. Should we just make a film which will be broadcasted? Yeah. Our first challenge was... Let's step back uh -huh. and think of a format which breaks away from this instructive messaging which is common in development sector. Right, like films and things that people Yeah, printed show. materials, but they're, they're just transported, couriered yeah. to different places, then distributed and yeah. then people are expected to read and make sense out of it. Uh -huh. I think we needed a format which was familiar to rural audience. Yeah, which was? Well, in this case, we have to remember it was Hindi-speaking regions where our audience was. Uh -huh. We needed something that children and their families could be interested in. Okay. Something mm -hmm. that could engage them. Mm -hmm. So we came up with this familiar format of a mela. Right. If I can call closest thing I can think of is let's say a carnival. Right. And also like I think there's no English word in particular that can No, there's no English word for this madness. <laughs> mela is mela. <laughs> True. Yeah. So if you know from our childhood and it still exists as a format, this is something that village children look forward to. Right. Something that brightens their evenings, yeah. engages them with games and entertains them with songs, dance and all these performances. Yeah, yeah. And we could use these games, activities and songs as a vehicle for our messaging. Right. So, for example, traditionally um, in a mela, you must have seen these various kind of games that are played. Right. So you're given a tennis ball. Yeah. You know, and then children sort of enjoy breaking, let's say, um, a wall of cans or tumblers with it. And anyone who can break that in a limited number of tries yeah, yeah, yeah. wins the game. Wins the game, wins yeah. The game. In this case, we thought, okay, now this is a familiar situation. Right. How about, you know, you change the ball from a tennis ball to a soap. Right. And there were these characters that looked like bacteria. Uh, they were they, they formed a wall, uh -huh. and children then using that soap break the bacteria wall. 
Oh, so so pretty much like putting the shell on the top of the the traditional game, yeah. which actually expresses the message. Right? Yeah, you're building on the known things. Right. Yeah. And we did not want to teach children the way they are taught through their tedious textbooks, which right. constantly tell them don't do this, don't do that, and they're full of don't, 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 and don't. Right. Just so many don'ts per day is all that they read or hear. Huh. So this carnival format kept fitting well into our plans mm-hmm. uh, because. We had to cover multiple uh, locations across five states. Right. And then, you know, we all know a mela or a carnival also travels. Right. That right, travels right. from point A to B. So that sort of made sense. Yeah. The mela is in this village, then it will yeah, be the Yeah, and then one. it will come to the next one. Right. There's that anticipation that gets built. Right. And this format, this carnival required carefully planned messaging for communication. Because remember that you now have a format. Right. But a format needs to hold content and right. messaging. Right. You now have to carefully plot the content and messaging across the Mela through right. activities. And remember, the concept of the Nirmal Bharat Yatra was based on two fundamental ideas. Now, we are going back to the aim right. of this project. Right. One, that children are most important influencers within families. Right. And number two, we need to inspire behavior change. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm. And to do that, it is imperative that you engage with the audience. Mm-hmm. You engage in a manner that's optimistic, it's participatory in nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these ideas form the starting point for the development of identity and communication design for the Yatra. So now you've reached a stage where you know now you need to visually package the identity and communication touch points. Right. And this is a critical milestone of a project. Mm-hmm. You're now looking for a visual design treatment mm-hmm. that your audience are not just familiar with, right. but it should also deliver the message in an exciting way. Right. And that's one thing we have to take care of in every project stage. Yeah, yeah. That get everything right, give equal importance to the core idea, the format, the visual design treatment. Nothing right. is forced or an ad hoc. Right. Thought of at the last moment. Right. Also, everything comes together and then you get the orchestra sort of yeah. situation, yeah. right? Right, like, right. Yeah, it, it, is like, it is like composing. Yeah. You know, you're, you're managing so many people and yeah. everyone needs to know their role in it. Yeah. And this is the stage which I love, you know, like how designers life experience mm-hmm. and on the other side, audiences past experience. Yeah. They come together and they are bound through this common visual vocabulary that you come up with. Right. Right, right. And it's tricky because that vocabulary triggers that one unique experience. And you can only do that if you have looked around. Mm. This is what I think Balram was talking about. <laughs> to look around, yeah. Look around, yeah. You know, observe people. <laughs> yeah. Observe people beyond your inner circles. Yeah. Because you, you can't sit and just come off think of, oh, I know a visual treatment that will work. It is crucial that they find it engaging. Yeah, if yeah, it yeah. is something yeah. they can't relate with, yeah. we've lost the plot. Right. So we couldn't think of anything better than Bollywood and cricket to take inspiration from. And both are familiar, yeah. both are exciting yeah. and engaging. Yeah, they are like the pretty much the backbone of Indian uh, uh, entertainment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of omnipresent. <laughs> yeah. One important channel for communication that we used in this Mela. Mm-hmm. was this song mm-hmm. which we co-created with 
our friend Pushpendranath Mishra. Yeah. So he's the guy I fought for to get Vidya. Right. So it was time for him <laughs> to pay back. We did not have the kind of budget Pushpendra is used to working with. <laughs> but I told him that, you know, Pushy, here's a song which talks about potty <laughs> and it also talks about hygiene habits. Right. And Pushy used to love talking about potty when we were students. <laughs> so he couldn't say no to it. And we literally designed, it was like a design exercise to script the song because uh -huh. we understand we need the song in the end, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll tell you later on uh, the, the requirement for that. But the messaging mm -hmm. was important that A, it has to be repeated, mm -hmm. said in the right sequence. Right. So that kids, when they are listening to this, uh -huh. it's not merely entertainment. Yes, you are getting entertained. Right. But you are also learning about hygiene habits. Right. Internalizing it. You internalize that. Right. And the other role of the song was that we sent this song to all the schools of the villages where this Mela was going. Uh -huh. And the plan was that when every cluster this Mela visits, yeah. there was a dance competition based yeah. on the song. So students could prepare a dance competition based on the song. Based on the song made on potty. Made on potty, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you should, you should uh, listen to the song after yeah. this podcast. What's the, what's the name of the song? Khulle Me. Okay. Let's listen to the song now. All right. Okay. से हालत पतली हां दस्त से हालत पतली हां ओ लगा के साबुन घुमा के दो तुम किताबों के पेट में एकदम डिशुम 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 लगा के साबुन घुमा के दो तुम किताबों के पेट में एकदम डिशुम 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 so yeah, so you heard that and uh, I think Pushy also had fun getting his freedom with lyrics. Yeah, I like the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a funny thing but uh, when we say shit, people are like okay with that and the time you say tatti, it's like people just frown yeah. upon. But we found that kind of a reservation with word tatti was mostly with urban crowd. Yeah, yeah. In, in the small so. towns and villages, nobody had, uh, had any issue with it. Yeah, it's what you do every day. So uh, let's talk about the work you did for Asian Paints. Uh, you worked on their magazine called uh, Color Quotient. So what kind of brief did you have for that and uh, how did you approach that project? So um, Asian Paints uh, initially contacted us to redesign one of their magazines. And at that time it was called Color Quarterly. Okay. So we went uh, to Bombay to meet the team and um, understand the project. And what we understood was that maybe the, the design was not the only problem of the current magazine. Um, mm -hmm. And we... By design you mean the... The, 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 the graphic design of Graphic the design, uh, the layout, uh, typography, 
So they and just wanted you to work on those. They wanted us to relook at, uh, because they were getting it uh, designed elsewhere. They wanted us to rethink the visual design. Visual design of the thing, right? So we we uh, we asked them to send us a few copies actually before we went to Bombay, and we we right. sort of went through a few copies, made our notes. We told the client that design is probably not the only issue because mm -hmm. in your issues. Yeah, in your issues. <laughs> because the, the, the large, the, the, the mandate of this magazine was to actually build this bridge between Asian paints and architects and interior designers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was around, I think, 2010 or so when, uh, no, even uh, earlier, 2009, I think, or eight, is when even in small towns, Indians had started hiring architects and interior designers. Right. So the decision of what paint, mm -hmm. which brand has to be used, right. now was going out of the paint shop owner. And Asian Paints is a very old Indian paint manufacturing company. Uh, what they were doing was trying to engage with architects and interior designers with meaningful content. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we had audited the current content and we felt that, you know, the, right now the content was coming from free sources, which may, may or may not be relevant for Indian. Mm -hmm. Most of the content was from Europe and America. Mm -hmm. But it was decided, let's stick to that format of content and let's start. Why don't you just redesign? We said, okay, when you, if you want to go to a new client and suggest changes in the way they should look at a problem or to change ways of working or thinking or whatever, basically introducing a new way of something. You will find them more open to listening to you if you build a relationship or you prove that you are genuinely interested, interested. in doing that. You are capable of mm -hmm. doing that. And you're, because, you're not selling something. You're not selling something, yeah. yeah. And then, I, you know, you... Mm. A lot of us today know the right thing, hmm. but it is very important that the client knows that you can also deliver it. Right. Yes, I understand why they did not give that part of the project to us. Because who are you? Uh, What's your track record of hmm. doing this? So we worked on the redesigning part. And I'm a big believer of this, that, okay, don't throw a project just because it's only meeting half your wish list. Right. They, a time will come. Right. Right time will come. Also, prove it to this client that you are genuinely interested and capable of doing that thing. Mm -hmm. So we started off by the uh, designing the magazine. We, I, I think we did a good job. We sort of changed it from like everywhere. We even convinced them to eventually change the name from color quarterly, which I thought was very factual name, that it, 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 uh, he, he, it comes out quarterly and hence right. it's quarterly. And, and uh, there's sort of colors. Yeah. Okay. So we, we, right. we asked them, should we change the name? And they said, no, no, everyone knows this name. And, you know, internally we all call it CQ. Hmm. So we said, okay, what if that remains as CQ one of remains. the uh, yeah. CQ remains? And we proposed color quotient to them. Mm -hmm. And they, they liked it. And this magazine became color quotient. So, okay, one small step. Piano, piano, the door is now opening wider, you know, and you're, you're ensuring that while it's open, you put you push your leg inside further. <laughs> it also happened that after a couple of years, Deco, a book that we conceived. Yeah, we have a whole of, podcast on it. You have a whole it. podcast on it, so yes. Yeah. But so for 
for those who don't know, they co sort of is our attempt to understand what's going on in design in India. Mm. This thought eventually came out in the form of a book. Right. Um, so next meeting, we again brought the topic of content. Mm -hmm. We did not just bring it up, we also cited examples from the past content of what is relevant, right. what is not relevant, right. brought on the table reasons why it is the way it is, mm -hmm. and waited for the question. Uh, when the client said, okay, but can you do it? Can uh -huh. you look after the content? And we, <laughs> I put my hand in my bag and pulled out Deco on the table and said, yes, we just wrote a book on right. Design in India. And they were you know, flipping through the book and yeah. we gave the copy to them. And eventually we got uh, curating and writing content for quarterly, uh, uh, color quarterly from the iron onwards. So piano, piano, piano. You know, so <laughs> so then the project became very interesting because right. studio was at any given time working on some part of this, which was not just layout. Right. It was identifying who should we feature, right? why Curation should we feature, convincing uh, the client every time. And I believe that's a great exercise at regular intervals. Mm. Because then clients always, most of the times at least, show you another side of things. Mm -hmm. So I, I prefer doing this uh, ping pong game with clients. But, mm and not sort of feel, oh, my work is destroyed by clients. So, yeah, <laughs> their job is not to come up with ideas. Their job is right. to tell you that there are other things apart from ideas that we need to consider because they sleep when they, they wake up. Every hour they're thinking about their it's business. They earn money in their business, yeah. right? Your yeah, and they're thinking more about themselves much more than we do. Yeah, oh. it's right. So, so yeah, for a few years, this color quotient was part of the studio life. Mm, At mm. some point, anyone was just will be found in one corner, created a photo photography studio, we are shooting something for the cover. Right. Somebody is on a call with an architect reminding them of content. Somebody right. is researching who should we hire as a writer for uh, Asian Paints. Right. It was a very lively atmosphere for a few years. We did um, four, five years of that format. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot about color, about, about many, many other things. And uh, that's one reason why I will, I think, continue designing forever. Mm -hmm. Is because it's not just design. Every client comes with different content, context. Some of them are two-wheeler makers, some of them are paint makers, some of them make bags, some of them are restaurants. But you, while designing, you come to know so much about this world, which otherwise you won't come to know. Every project comes up with its own world. And that's uh, one secret joy of graphic designing. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, mine definitely. Because uh, a person like me who's got all the right opportunities to know the world better. And way behind others in doing that. Mm -hmm. And I like that part. That you, you are becoming much more aware of why things are the way they are. Yeah, right. And you know the just... Uh, behind those. Yeah, and you just know a fucking drop right now of a bucket. Right. Not even that. Right. And this hope that there are was much, much more to know mm -hmm. and the next project is going to get more of that. Right. That, right. that keeps me going. I think I wake up or don't sleep <laughs> for that reason. So should we talk about the next project now? Sure. Uh, let's talk about your project Neoli. Neoli is not-for-profit women's farmers cooperative for the management and organized sale of agriculture produce and products from Kumau region in the state of Uttarakhand. Co-design was commissioned to create brand identity and packaging for them. 
So what kind of challenges were you facing and how did that project go about? Uh, Neoli was founded and supported by Chirag Foundation and Chirag Foundation, we worked uh, for them for earlier projects also. Mm-hmm. Well, they approached us with this new project of that, you know, they're thinking of supporting a cooperative of women's farmers. Right. And they want us to design an identity for them and also do packaging for the fruits. Right. That will then go to in trucks to nearby markets for sale. Right. So we were quite kicked with this project because A, you get to stay in Chirag's guest house, which is <laughs> in Kumau region. Beautiful right. place. Right. I traveled a little bit with the trucks to see how you know, the fruits are collected because you're trying to understand packaging. Right. How will it travel? What kind of produce is there? The client represented by Madhavan at that time, amazing fellow, he's a TED fellow. And this man understands design, Uh understands livelihood. We used to spend a lot of time in the evening with him understanding what are the real challenges. The other challenge apart from the identity and packaging of such a produce is also that the fruit coming out from this region was not, I would say, in comparison to Himachal fruit and Kashmir's fruit. Apples? Was not, Uh apples was one of them. Mm-hmm. Apricot was another. Was not good looking. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it, but uh, and they were not even. They, they were not big, even size, the right color, marketable. Yeah, marketable, pickable in a market. Right. Also, farming of the similar produce in the other two two states is organized. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was staying in Himachal. It's crazy how how good they are at organizing. These are big businesses versus we have poor women farmers here in this region who yeah. are looking at very small piece of land producing things. Mm. They don't have money to buy pesticides because they don't know what the crop will be like. Right. So there were two things that happened. One is we discovered that the taste of these fruits from this region was unique. Mm-hmm. It's bound to happen. It's a different region, but different also yes. certain species or certain kinds were grown during British time. Mm-hmm. And when I say unique, I would say I actually prefer it. A lot of people prefer it, but they don't look good. Secondly, just by the economic scenario mm-hmm. of these farmers, it was also pesticide free, mm-hmm. which oh, is that. becomes a talking point. <laughs> right. But after, you know, when the client also works through the feasibility, we eventually reached this conclusion that let's not sell this fruit as is. Mm-hmm. How about process this food? Mm-hmm. and sell that. So A, we get rid of this, the visual look of this fruit is out of the way. Right. Client was also in agreement, because they, and they, I think they were thinking about it too. For them, it also means, because they're, they're one of their other aim as an NGO is to generate livelihood. Right. Uh, not just support existing livelihood matter, but generate new ones. Right. To innovate in a way that uh, they are able to... Yeah, if you go for right. processed and packaged yeah. food, you can generate more employment. Oh yeah, I didn't so, think about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. We also then eventually visited these facilities uh-huh. and they, they deployed simple mechanisms of you know, putting these fruits in cans. Now, good thing is now you can ship it further, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is the virtue of the packaged food, nothing right. to do with Neoli, but right. it suited them. Right, more you know, shelf life also. More shelf life, yeah. yeah. Then coming to graphics and the naming, right. Neoli is a bird with a very unique sound of that region. Uh-huh. So the logo that we designed, which is this bird 
sort of morphing from leaves right and, you know freeing itself right as well as the packaging graphics were inspired by the local floor decorative art right so i'm going to ask this shallow question but did you also create a, the logo type for these because the e is very unique the e matra this is drawn this is drawn so yeah. you drew both of them for latin and yeah uh, i think they are they were based on some font but they were completely redrawn to match each other so that they right. don't look like one was decided then the other one had to adapt to it right 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 so yeah so, yeah. so then all the way it became different kind of identity different kind of business different kind of project output altogether right it goes beyond graphic design yeah. if i mean then yeah, no, as a studio we are i think we are more than happy and sort of interested in going beyond graphic design i think maybe they are part of design it's what i feel sometimes yeah, like a, uh, i don't think there is after point doesn't matter what is in or out if you are capable of doing something just do it well, right. i don't really know why it has to be put in the definition so right now let's come to the work that i'm most excited about which is your most iconic work and uh, a lot of people talk about that when they talk about co-design it's the redesign of the brand identity for a legacy brand royal enfield this brand is known it has a cult following it must be a huge challenge and uh, how did you secure that project one and how did you approach it well it's a um, long story uh, over well, a long know. time um, but we were contacted in 2011 i think for a meeting Mm-hmm. with Aishar Motors that's the parent company okay they used to make tractors and mm-hmm. uh, still make uh, trucks mm-hmm. and i was quite kicked i knew Aishar Motors but i also knew that they had recently gone through rebranding so i was partially kicked <laughs> <laughs> we realized that we were talking to Royal Enfield team of Aishar Motors mm. we were not told what the project was right so for me that was good enough that we are talking to mm-hmm. royal enfield team i was so excited and my mind is you, to do you like their bike before i i actually uh, owned one oh, i loved okay. that bike that bike yeah you you love that bike so <laughs> <laughs> as as kids you know used to play in street and um, i think haryana and punjab like uh, we get yeah, kerala kerala we were now yeah No, especially like it's a part of the culture bullet as we call it yeah, in punjab yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. it's a appropriation of the word bullet and uh, a lot of punjabi songs we hear the word bullet munda bullet te janda right anyways yeah, yeah. So, so but it on this other uh, as a kid this bike also came as a package right so right. if you're playing cricket in the street and you hear do 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 coming from a distance right so what i meant by package it also comes on top of this bike is also this cool right guy who doesn't speak much <laughs> and like he's sort of you know man of few words <laughs> he can get angry at, at times otherwise he's warm when he's warm we love him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and Damn, he comes and in his safari suit and then he parks the bike and if he really likes you he will let you sit on the bike for 5 seconds <laughs> like sta- stationary sanding bike and then he will go inside and then kids with the bat on shoulders will walk around the bike and they'll admire the presence of this bike right and since then you know it it sort of stays with you then you go to school 
and you see some college students once in a while on this bike and oh my god what a presence you know like <laughs> it's what harley davidson is to us if i'm not wrong well yeah true true yeah, the the big difference uh, between that is there is a quieter presence mm-hmm. when i say quieter it's not the sound but the sound the design it's of the bike flashy. Yeah. it's not flashy yeah it's, unlike, it's a, unlike harley it's not flashy it's what we call british naked design when it stands on the road it's like a person standing upright right and is no in no hurry to go is mm. not growling at you mm-hmm. but definitely you can't afford to growl at her just because she's not growling at you right it stands upright quiet but has presence is not overtly heavy but it's not light right you have to think twice before climbing on someone else's bike because <laughs> a you'll get shouted at or can you really handle the weight of this bike right. so it's that presence around. so i've seen people having chai and looking at someone else's royal enfield and walking around it and whispering Uh-huh, uh-huh. Also these are times I'm talking about 90s etc what I can experience See, these are the times when you want you don't even know that you want this bike mm. it's like the out of reach not just because of financial reason you yeah. have to become someone <laughs> to own this bike true true i so it comes from that impressions are with you for childhood but then when i finally moved to bangalore and um, I was working with Infosys and you could actually secure a very easy loan mm-hmm. from Infosys itself. Mm-hmm. And I bought my first uh, Royal Enfield right. in 2001 after dreaming about waiting it. for owning one for around 10 or 11 years that was my class oh, wow. 12th or my right. first year of NID somewhere around that I had started having a feeling for this bike right beyond being in awe of it or the mm-hmm. beyond in awe of the uncle mm-hmm. i now could delete the uncle from the triangle right and approach her directly or <laughs> wanted to approach her directly and own it right so yeah it took around uh, i'd say 10 11 years to own it mm-hmm. and let's say when i entered design world 91 and to actually design its identity wow. it took 20 years of wait wow so yeah it's a, it's a, it must be crazy the time you might have gotten this project dream bike you love it you love the brand and now you're designing the identity for it so how did it go about yeah it's it's uh, well getting of it it took uh, let me put it briefly for four months four meetings with sadat lal who used to keep making notes in his moleskin notebook uh-huh uh whatever we were saying and i kept wondering what notes is he taking right and then okay fourth meeting happened we went back we were also at that time in the process of launching uh, deco book mm-hmm. so this is 2012 february i think Mm-hmm. Gotha Institute and British Council together they uh, came forward say we will support the official launch of the book. Mm-hmm. So Gotha Institute sponsored the venue and the flight tickets of people who were featured in it. So mm-hmm. there was a book reading plus discussions mm-hmm. uh, event and British Council supported us by saying okay then everyone then can come for dinner and drinks this side. These two buildings are around 300 400 meters I think so far apart. The evening of that day Gotha Institute event is over mm-hmm. and I think there was some logistics of chairs and 
we were moving some chairs from there to British Council. Mm. And I was alone. I had this chair around my neck, carrying one chair. And I get a phone call from this person, Abhijit Barar of Royal Enfield. I don't know if you know, there's this big traffic signal just before British Council. From Connaught. So I'm waiting for traffic to go by so that I can cross the road. So it's noisy and I can't hear properly. So, so he said, congratulations. I said, hi Abhijit, can you speak loudly? Uh, I can't hear anything. Uh, and I'm already very happy. I'm very, because you know, yeah, the, the Deco, Deco has yeah. been launched. Yeah. Three, four years of work, finally, you know, people can feel it in their hand. Right. I was so happy. I was so uh, wrapped up in my own emotional world and right. smiling. And then I get this call from Abhijit and he says, Abhijit was head of marketing that time. Right. He said, congratulations, you've got the project. I made him repeat it. I just didn't want to get this wrong. <laughs> and I made him repeat that. And, uh, and I'm st uh, standing at the traffic junction. And I couldn't hear anything else. I wanted to shout out aloud that we got this project where six or seven or maybe more studios from all over the world were being considered without showing any line of work for Royal Enfield, just past work. Right. It was a very mixed feeling because you're sort of not really overcome with Dekha because that's another baby you have. Then you have this Royal Enfield and I was told later on by a friend who I, um, he was my flatmate in um, Bangalore when I bought my first Royal Enfield. And once I got drunk and I sat in the parking with the bike and, uh, and I, to I told him that I want to redesign this logo once. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, all these things are coming together in your traffic light and you really want to go and meet rest of your studio people who don't know about this news. But we are all surrounded by other friends and guests. Right. And I have a weak stomach. I can't keep things to myself, you know. So I'm trying to go to each one and take them to one corner and say, you're not going to shout. You're going to keep a straight face. Right. Uh, they're taking me lightly because they think it's about Deco or something right. like that. I said, no, okay, I'm going to tell you something now. And by then I did my bit of crying on the traffic light and <laughs> wiped my tears. Now I, I had I sort of come to terms with good news. And I, I go to individuals and I say, okay, we got Royal Enfield rebranding project. And with all those instructions of keeping a straight face, quiet face, did not work out even with any one of them. They just started shrieking and shouting, but thankfully <laughs> we kept under control. And yeah, we, 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 we got that. And it's a huge thing. Uh, at that time, it was huge by what, what we knew about Royal Enfield. Right. Once we started working on the project and we started actually seeing what they have planned for future, that's when you actually become nervous because you thought you're going to design a company that you knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you are now going to help them with redesigning their brand identity of what they are planning for future. Right. And that was very different than what you knew. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what made me nervous. 
and happy and nervous and happy and <laughs> nervous and happy till there is a word that means both <laughs> because a you're not now doing something that you love mm-hmm. you're now doing something which you should love mm-hmm. because why should this company be exactly what you know or what it has been doing right and then by then obviously we knew you know financially how they were doing we had so many meetings with them about knowing the future vision of this then we slowly and slowly came to know about the challenges mm-hmm. of this right so to talk about the specifics of the work that you did for them uh so how did you approach that identity the way we went about and i think it's the right way to went about because before us there was future brands researching uh, for royal enfield and doing the brand definitions for it it was defining uh-huh. the brand it was trying to understand the pain points it was understanding the vision uh-huh. uh we work very closely with them uh-huh. it is important that before you come to the graphic design part Right. of a branding project you need to know what it has to perform mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like hiring an actor first without knowing the character mm, then you I are see. going to screw it up because mm. you first actually have to define the character or the expectations from it what mm-hmm. how and where will this logo perform where will the supporting graphics perform the typography the logo the color system other graphic system are not defined yet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the possibility is there they are not defined right now you're defining and understanding the spirit of that thing the spirit of that right. then you're understanding where will they be deployed right this and how it is deployed and yes yeah. where all how yeah. mm. in future what are the possibilities right what will their role be mm-hmm. what will their mm-hmm. dialogues be right. because if you don't define that then you don't know whether you need to get amitabh bachchan on board or shahrukh khan on board or a newcomer or what is it mm-hmm. who can do that in well in in films at least there is a living person who will come and fill that <laughs> in design yeah. that thing doesn't exist it doesn't exist right but the mistake of jumping to that mm-hmm. not knowing what do i want this s brand asset to do right and start right. you know being seduced by mm. the act of forms Mm-hmm. you forget a very important step in branding of right. you sit down and you listen to your client mm-hmm. you understand what do they want to do with this company right you sit with product design team and understand what's going to happen to products you mm-hmm. sit with marketing team you also interview riders what are they mm-hmm. expecting and right. we don't ask them what are they expecting from a logo yeah. of course the brand i like don't the, believe the in logos being created by feedback from users ah, so really. but that's not the point right now you are understanding the script you're understanding why they are doing what they are doing right when i get to do identity where will it be deployed what right. are the scenarios there what are the if and thens Mm-hmm. so all that starts happening right now because there's another important aspect of this with that they actually want to go out to the world and sell this product not just uh-huh. in india because uh-huh. the british plant had stopped functioning long back right and not many people know that royal enfield is the oldest motorcycle brand in the world in continuous production 
But over the years, the brand became small and it was right. operational in India. But now the new vision of um, the, the company was that they will take this product out to the world. Right. Now there, you know Royal Enfield as a British product, right. not Indian product. And it is actually not an Indian product because they did not really change the product. It mm. was manufactured here simply because the army had a certain requirement and was feasible to manufacture it here rather than ship it every time. Mm. The design was exactly what it was, which was like the, the British design legacy it had. The nakedness of a war machine, nothing mm. had changed. Before doing the simple exercise of where this will be deployed, if and then of that, understanding the opportunities and constraints, and right. obviously taking care of what does the brand stand for. Right. We also are now understanding a few other aspects of it, that when it goes out, it needs to be looked at as a British brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and truly right. so, it is British. It is a British. And there's a further proof of that, that Royal Enfield now has a, a very large R&D and product development center in UK. Yeah. So it's no more just using the sticker. And the other thing is brand has, over the years, found traction with a certain age group, mm-hmm. a certain kind of male that kind goes to certain kind of mountains. Right. Yeah. We don't want that. We, the, the brand wants to actually be more open to youngster, younger crowd. Right. With keeping those in mind, we actually did a lot of other things. We studied British design history wow. all the way till the current day. To, I mean, what is British about British design? Mm. We studied that for three, four months before lifting a pencil. Mm-hmm. What is a Japanese bike like? What's a German bike like? What is, what is a US bike? How is ours different? So we worked very closely with Royal Enfield team and Future Brands team to do these definitions. And only and only when this foundation layer was laid, was laid, like right. a pizza base is laid, right. then you start talking about what ingredients are needed to make it a dish. Right. How will this identity work for a roadster? How will it work for an adventurer tourer? How will mm. it work for a highway cruiser? We don't know what they will come up with. Right. So that's how you started off. And by then, you have enough vectors telling you which way to go. Right, the direction for yeah. it, visually. Yeah. So that's how logo was actually not one of the first things we did. We started sampling what will the touch points look like after this identity. Right. So we started looking at typography first, color, we minutely changed the red, we mm. introduced gold right. apart from yellow. There was a graphite that was introduced as color family. Right. We looked at many families uh, which could work for different kinds of products. By that he means type families. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what did I say? You said families. So. Oh, sorry, type families. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of homework and testing started happening. Uh, mm. And parallelly, the logo design started taking off. Because we wanted to first get a sense of the, the visual world of the brand. Right. Where this logo will be part of rather than leading the pack. Uh, we were we were not doing a sequence of logo first kind of design. Right. We just wanted to first get a sense of what does it feel like yeah, to close your eyes. What will it feel like? So hence it became a parallel activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's how um, the assets were done. And once we were done with logo, uh, we were what we do usually for any brand is we we were also parallelly hunting down for 
what we call a visual hook. What would that mean? So something that may or may not be a logo, another graphic asset. That would be the lines in this The case? stripes. The yes, stripes. Yeah, the stripes. Yeah. We found this gentleman in, in uh, part of the assembly line actually <clears throat> for bullet. So he uses this one single brush mm-hmm. and a tank holds the tank in his hand and paints pinstripes on both sides of the tank. Right. Thick line as well as thin line um, with right hand, with left hand, same brush, mm-hmm. can do it while talking to you. Mm-hmm. And one of the brand tenets was Royal Enfield stand on craftsmanship. Right. If you look at this kind of a bike design, it's literally put together. It's, it's not, not molded. It's not. It doesn't look like molded as one piece or with right. plastic fenders all around it. Right. Streamlined, aerodynamic yeah. bike. And the fact number what happens to the bike even after that, people customize it. Right. You know, people people personalize it to their liking. So right. it's very open to be crafted further. Right. And so the spin drive really reflected that in the new assembly line of Royal Enfield, which is state of the art, as good as any other uh, modern uh, two-wheeler bike company, there is a space for this person who does it much slower than what a 3M stripe can do, mm. vinyl stripe. He's not just there, the next person is being trained at. So he's not likely to go anytime soon. Right. And we thought that's really something that we can own. Right. You know, I don't want to repeat logos on the facade of retail. But you know, the best part is I like the phrase uh, visual hook. I love that phrase. I'm going to use that in my own work. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's because you need that, right? right. With a, with a, no, I, I, sometimes I'm looking at the facade. Yeah. The logo might be hidden behind something, yeah. but there's that stripe that stripe. goes across that. Yeah. You know, I, I can. If you're wearing a Royal Enfield jacket and you, if, if the jacket has those stripes, mm-hmm. like just Adidas has, mm-hmm. I don't have to ask you which yeah. brand this is. Yeah. You have to borrow it from your own house. Right. You cannot buy it or borrow it from neighbors. It's not yours. You have to look inwards. You have to look in the factory or office in the past stories. It has to be yours. Right. Otherwise, you can't own it. Mm-hmm. It needs to be authentic. It's ours. And this, this can't be any more authentic. <laughs> yes. yeah. and, and so you, you are always looking for it and you, you find it, eventually you find it, it's, it's just a matter of how hard are you looking. That's where observation comes into place. But mm. in this case, honestly, he was there, out there in front of mm. you. Mm. It's literally the, the visual time thread for us. You can find it in speedometers now. Right. You can find it in apparel, on products, on facade, on frames of images. Right. It's just that little mark one day you will discover, may not discover, it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But it's there, so it's right. planted. Right. And with time it gets more value equity. Yeah, yeah. with time. It's just a matter of time when you start seeing it that way. Mm-hmm. You, you can recognize it. But I, I also feel it's also the value goes beyond recognizability. Mm-hmm. A brand should reach a place where you want to wear it. Right. And I've seen people buy the merchandise that Royal Enfield I've, I've seen people who are, who are actually otherwise riding a Honda <laughs> yeah. or a Yamaha, but the helmet is Royal Enfield. Royal Enfield. I've seen so many times. Yeah. And uh, also like uh, the thing that uh, I observed is that you had totally different uh, drawings for logo for different applications. The scenario was already identified because right. we did not start with drawing things. We had identified that there is a need for this logo to become mm. linear 
mostly let's say on uh, on the facade of a retail right. or on a large tank mm -hmm. or on a jacket which only has printable surface which is let's say panoramic or, right. or, or even format. speedometer like it has a very small surface yeah in places where you have limited width yeah. you can stack it right so the 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 need was identified that you may need something like this right and when you're doing the logo you then cross check with what how it needs to perform right okay one of the performance uh, points is this and you you right. we had to redraw it a little bit right so the it's not the same royal and infield which is stacked on top no, of that, each other. No, that's what I was talking about. Because uh, uh, as a beginner, or at least in, when you're in college or so on, uh, only the people I think who have done type design understand that sort of geekiness yeah. that goes. Yeah, in. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a. Can you tell us a little bit about that kind of thing? So just as a student, so let's say you're talking to a student, <laughs> no. you have to explain why to do that okay. kind of thing. Yeah, I think what I'm going to say is not very sexy, but it was actually designed that you don't notice that change. Right, right, right. Uh, I yeah, it was that. it was designed to stack. Where it was. Well, what kind of refinement do you do? Uh, what kind? It's called only one kind, which is uh, <laughs> a marathon refinement. So, but I think just coming back to Cyper, I'll touch upon the refinement part. The stacking was anyway made that you don't notice that it's different. Mm -hmm. Because it was supposed to serve a certain format or a space availability around it. Mm -hmm. Also aesthetically, a highway cruiser requires a linear one. Right. The classic has a stance which is more upright, so right. even if there's space, you break the rule and say, oh, stacking right, works right, perfectly right. fine. Um, it was it was a, a challenging form and uh, very, very capable people were working on it. We worked on um, this logo where if Abhijit is working on this and if he's leaving, he will then uh, mail the file to Saddam. Saddam is working on it, then Saddam leaves and then he throws the file to my computer. <laughs> then I work on it. Because you're literally using fresh set of eyes. Right. And this happened for quite some time. And um, if you want the geeky right, sort the of answer is, is that yeah. after it was approved, we made 139 drawings of that logo mm -hmm. before it was submitted as an artwork delivery. <laughs> and it was drawn in two variations, linear and stacked. Right. With golden outline and without golden outline they are different drawings right. it's not that you remove the golden outline and you get another logo no, the right. solid red is a different drawing made to look similar Whoa. so there were four drawings and then i also secretly shared the file with a mentor of mine mm -hmm. and i told him that i have gone blind I can't see what's wrong with it, but I don't want to find out something is wrong with it after it goes on bikes. Right. And the gentleman helped me out by pointing out certain things. And then you look at it and he said, yeah, how come I didn't see it? You, you, it's not that you have lost the capability of seeing that. It's just that you have become blind to it. Your brain is now instructing that everything is fine. Don't right. worry. Or because you repeated. Yeah, you're the, looking at the same thing at the same thing, time. And, yeah. uh, so between the three, four of us, we were, like, we were just sending files to each other, critiquing each other. And as all the co-designers, that's one thing I like. We don't really think that if somebody else nudges things, that you lose ownership. 
so we were very happily sort of throwing it from one computer to another. So, <laughs> so yeah, 139 like drawings. This, this is the kind of rigor I am talking about that's unique to co-design in many ways and I am not being generous or anything but that's true. I'm, 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 uh, I, I, I would like to believe yeah. that others do it. Where this is, this is crazy. This no, is but like Kaval, the only thing is the rigor is always identified sadly in the visual output. Right. Nobody <laughs> ever asked me what four months of studying British design legacy meant. Right. Nobody ever asks us what does it mean to break down every brand tenet into a document. Wow. Grounded masculinity was a chapter. Damn. Man machine terrain which you know which was defined by future brands and you know how they broke it down into into this elaborate text. There is rigor in that. So there is a lot of work that never gets talked about. But if you right. have not done that, you won't get that logo. Yeah, that's true. You will quite likely get a slab serif bold Royal Enfield. <laughs> Written in a famous typeface. Yeah, you'll get that and you're so happy about it. No, it's the foundation that, that makes you see. I'll interject here. Yeah. Uh, I have seen that kind of thing still happen in other studios. But the other part of it, where the form is strategic. Now, this is where I'm using like this direct word that when people think strategy and uh, form, design of form as two different things. No, sometimes. no, they are not. They, they are, are not. They are right. different kind of strategies, but th th this, yeah, forms oh. are strategic. Exactly. And I can see that in your work a lot. Thank you for noticing it. But that's how design is supposed to do. So maybe what we are doing is we are trying to design the right thing the right way mm -hmm. and yes it requires rigor so be it so and it's fun to do rigorous stuff you need to keep benchmark i always keep secret people in my imaginary world that when i or co-design or anyone in co-design when we output something what will that guy think about this Will mm -hmm. he or she be happy? Mm -hmm. And mostly the answer is no. So we go back and draw it again. <laughs> right. And I have never gone to these people and ever told them that I have been using them <laughs> all these years. They sit next to me and I have been showing this and then I act out as them. Right. Because I think I sort of know them. Right. And I reject my own work. And then we start again refining it. Till this, Im not imaginary, these are real people from my right. life. But the situation is imaginary. Their feedback is imaginary. <laughs> right. Till I feel that this man will like this. Mm -hmm. I don't stop. I'm not going to name this man. But Crazy. So there's always. And for, for right. publication, there is another person. Mm. Weingart comes in quite often. Or SM Shah sometimes tells me this form is not right. Casey right. uh, sometimes just stands and shakes his head. <laughs> Mahindra Patel tells me just speaking is not right. <laughs> and then I say, all right, Mahindra Patel, thank you very much. I'll, I'll fix it. Right. What you're doing is you're basically, these, are, these things were told to you by these people. Right. It's just that this, this formula of mine helps me <laughs> remind myself that that certain things you 
certain things can escape you, certain things yeah. you can forget, you're human, you know. But I just create this theatre around the last lag of my projects, where they come and evaluate. And this is the first time I think my studio people, if this podcast ever goes on air, will come to know about this formula of mine. And now I have to deal with them, that all this while it was not me giving them feedback. It was many other people giving feedback. So, like, I mean, when you see the bike now, what do you feel about it when you see that logo on the bike? I still skip a heartbeat today. And I will do it tomorrow. I love that logo. I love it because I know what has gone behind it. Number of people who've gone behind it. Such an important role the client's team has played in it. You know, I have rarely met a client so involved in design. Mm-hmm. They're, they're genuinely interested in what you are saying, why you're saying. They're ruthlessly questioning it. They're ruthlessly finding out more about themselves and putting on the table. Mm-hmm. They, they are so much in favor of the output that's coming rather than, oh, we are right or you are wrong. No, no yeah. we, we rarely feel, and that's with most of our clients, we rarely feel this There's consultant right. and client relationship. Mm-hmm. I think we both push each other. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the only way to make your work better. Yeah. Because you, it's not a fight. Right. Right? And sometimes we, we, we have one policy in co-design. If you want to have a different take on something or you want to talk about something alternate to a solution that's being talked about, mm-hmm. don't just talk about it. Don't sleep that night. Because you first do what we discussed Mm -hmm. and now also work on what you think are other possibilities. Don't go there and just blabber your ass off. Right. Be responsible. Don't sleep. It's okay to not show it how it's done. Show that maybe this is a possibility or maybe in the morning you realize, oh crap, that's not really a good idea. Right. Perfectly fine. You learned something. Right, right, right. So rather than this always, this bitterness around, oh, these guys are, you know, making me do things. No, they, why would a client want to destroy their own work? Right. And if you have genuine reasons that design is going downhill because of, let's say, um, improper feedback, mm-hmm. then it is also your duty to go back with a solution and read about why it is beneficial to them. Right. Maybe they will reject it still. But Mm -hmm. one thing they won't forget is these guys, they try harder. They are not billing us for this time and still trying to put a point across. Right. At least one thing will go through that they think about us. Yeah. And that's very important. It's not to please anyone, nothing. No, it's a relationship. You need to prove that you are actually concerned about certain things. And... There's no way my time, my sleep time, I'm not being billed. <laughs> I don't give a to that. Like, like right. I'm, not, I'm not proposing this to everyone. Yeah. But at least I have a little bit of control in co-design. We want to cultivate that culture. And, and everyone here is more ready than I am in putting that point across. So I am super blessed with these, these really good chaps around me. You know? And there's a reason why uh, co-design attracts such a good talent from across India. 
and abroad. Well, I, yeah, I hope, I hope it's for all the right reasons. So let's revisit the point where we were discussing that the form is strategic and uh, I couldn't think of a better project than Royal Enfield to illustrate idea. I mean, let's geek out on the logo a little bit more. When we started, we stopped on that. Yeah. So what I meant by form is strategic. I think I, mean, I, I always feel it's obvious, but just to elaborate on that, it is strategic because we, we first work on what is needed. And then certain part of that load is assigned to a logo. So the other part of that maybe is assigned to if it's a retail brand and retail communication. Right. The brand experience eventually will be the sum total of all these touch points. Right. Nobody looks at a logo and say, hmm, I've understood what your vision is. Hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Because logo In is... In yeah, But logo, remember, is a container of a meaning. Right. The meaning comes from what a brand is doing on ground. Right. But of course, logo has to be drawn in such a way that it should at least have that capability that it can hold it. Yeah. It should look like, yes, it can hold. Of course, it represents that. Right. But in isolation, it's not supposed to perform. It's in isolation, it performs as a recall sort of a symbol that, mm -hmm. oh, Airtel is present in the city. But my experience with a particular brand over years uh -huh. will form an opinion of that brand with me, right? Right. So when I look at the logo, that meaning starts getting layered on it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I look at Nike lettering and I, I sort of start thinking about not how that this logo stands for R&D in athletics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, but it reminds me of that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I have heard or read elsewhere mm -hmm. that they do it. Right. So it becomes a facade. It becomes a vessel, uh, a container of meaning. But the right. meaning is created over time. Right. And the container has to have same kind of uh, tension to be given. To be yes. Found, right? Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's the abstraction part, yeah. that it should still look like convincingly that this Royal Enfield logo, right. if I put it on bike, mm -hmm. it is not a, a, a layer sticking out or raising your hand to escape. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. belongs there. It, it completes the story. Right. So how did you put meaning in Royal Enfield logo? No, so there is meaning and then there is functionality. Two right, parts have to parts. work together, right? So let's talk about meaning. Meaning. Or so meaning okay. is when we looked at the old Royal Enfield logo, it was designed early last century. Mm -hmm. Times were different, right? So the production mechanisms were different. Right. This, these bikes were being used in war. There was a different sort of emotional collect around it. You know, right. there's slightly heavily masculine brand, a British industrial image of that time. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't want to throw this out of the window. But how does it make sense in uh, what do, Yeah, what does motorcycling mean today? It's about uh, motion, mobility, right. flow rather. Right. It's not about going from point A to point B. It's the journey. So if you notice the difference between old and uh, new logo, the new logo has a built-in flow. It's slightly softer because right. the image of masculinity is not supposed to be only this hard, industrial, strong, right. stubble man, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But it's still bold, the new one. 
Right. But it has a flow. It talks about maybe mobility. It reflects the new way we need to look at it. It flows. Mm. The way this bike makes me travel. If you look at the form, the way R and uh, E oh. is, for example, mm. they were slightly bigger than uh, the other letter forms in the old one. We right. retained that. Uh-huh. We didn't want to reinvent for the sake of reinventing. Mm-hmm. But then the way R flows into O, mm-hmm. if you look at the stroke qualities, mm-hmm. it has to now do two, three roles. One is bold enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the, the, the bulk of the bike, you know, right. the, the image of the, of the bike it has. And to sort of stress upon the, the British heritage. So you will start seeing the it's, it's very subtle Victorian nuances. What you, you know, see those subtle serifs, they are also helping in making the form softer, mm-hmm. but do have a reminiscence of a slight Victorian style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it also then helps me with making it not just soft enough, but helping the flow, mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. it moves. We, 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 we didn't want it to be a typical man um, mm-hmm. of, a, of a logo. Mm-hmm. We wanted to reflect a feeling of riding a Royal Enfield motorcycle. Mm, which is? Which is no more needs to sort of belong to a 40-year-old male who wants to go to Himalayas. (laughs) It's it's sort of, it's, you know, women can ride this motorcycle, men can ride it, young people can ride it. Old can ride it. But without forgetting where it comes from. Mm, 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 mm. So when I had talked about studying British design, we were not really studying what is British design in general form. Mm. We were studying British product design. Mm. We were studying British design of a specific time. Mm. We studied similar brands, like what Mini Cooper did, had similar Mm. history, but they wanted to appropriate it and make it more relevant to today's time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if you look at it, it doesn't really look like as if it doesn't have history. Right. They have kept the right amount, they have removed the right amount. It's like sculpting. Right. And you can't say there is no purpose or intent of making a sculpture. Uh, uh, you're removing things, you're adding things, you're retaining certain things. Yeah. And what you get is that form, right. which when it goes on product or retail, sits well, says I am Royal Enfield. Right. Inside is Royal Enfield. Right. This product is Royal Enfield, and I'm not sticking out like an odd shape. Right. right, I, I, right. Be, so we didn't have a model of a bike in our mind when we did that mm. because we knew that all of them still do one thing: they make you experience motorcycling. Mm. So that slip, that breeze that you feel, the, the the flow of the breeze. Right. So movement was common. And the joy, if you see, I think the new logo has a little bit of joy than the old one was like, don't talk to me, I'm Royal Enfield. That's not the brand we are right now. And then the functional part. Yeah, now let's talk about the functional. Will it perform on facade of a retail? Mm -hmm. Can it be router cut? But what does it mean to perform on the facade of the retail? Visibility. Okay, one. Readability. Uh-huh. Uh, facade basically means there are well-known production methods of making signs. Right. Can it be produced using those methods? Right, 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 right. right. Will it be economical? 
will it uh, have the same kind of uh, gravitas that it has on the bike? Yes. That, that yeah. kind of questions, right? Yeah. And also the newer usages on phone, on small screens. So we mm. actually had to draw it again mm -hmm. so that it looks exactly like the other form uh -huh. in small size on a phone. So all Somebody those who is just new to graphic design, this might sound like unattainable sort of goal, uh, how to get there. What, what does it mean to do that? Do you change the form of it, like move things here and there so that the pixels... Yeah, yeah. You the same of, thing you do in hinting, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you want it to perform the same way it performs elsewhere uh -huh. without anyone saying, oh, it's changed. No, the effort is going in making it look the same. Uh, and scaling it down to that size doesn't do the thing. Doesn't do that. It can't. It yeah. Sometimes it does, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. You can scale down a square, it will look like a square. Mm. But uh, I mean, yeah, true 99% of the times. But yeah, here, sometimes. we wanted to render the golden outline version in small size. Mm. So, mm. it all, well, someone new to graphic design, yeah, it's new to uh, him or her, but... Um, well, now, now it's not. But if you actually read how things are done in graphic design, there is enough examples out there that things have to be redrawn to suit a production method or a, or a uh -huh. representation. Is that hardcore graphic design, if I may? <laughs> it's, the, it's an honest, it's honest graphic design. It's, it's uh, anything honest is, I think, hardcore, uh, or rather requires <laughs> hard work. Uh, I, I think we should, not think of it as hardcore. It's normal graphic design. Should be normal graphic design. Yeah. Because I'm just telling you that it's not uh, common practice. Just no, no, but it's the same way. You have good doctors and you have not so good doctors. Mm. Not because they are not capable. It's just that they, there's a will to practice the way you're supposed to practice. It's right. nothing, nothing typical to graphic design. Sometimes you take an Uber, you find a good driver. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you find an awful driver. Both of them know how to drive. So it's nothing. It's just that we should stop clapping for someone who does things right. That's their job. You, you should you should clap only when they go beyond what is just expected. I think it right. should it, it is expected that you have to put in this craft in a form correction. Mm. I mean, then there's capability, but then. Um, you get enough time during design education or otherwise to sleep less, have less parties, you know. Maybe if you want to call it or compromise, also, compromise oh. on doing other things and practice. Also, it comes from giving f**ks about this thing, right? Yeah, but in our, in our case, like personally, for me, I don't know what else to do apart from <laughs> design. So, and if I don't do that all so well, then I don't know what else to hold on to. <laughs> I don't have many other interests. So, should we talk about the next project now? Sure. Uh, you worked on communication design system for Dr. Reddy's Schedule H truck packaging. And you created a system for their packaging with a good recall while working under the constraints of stringent rules that govern manufacturing and distribution of these medicines. How did that project start and uh, what kind of challenges uh, were you facing while working on that project? Well, this project had an interesting beginning. Mm -hmm. We were asked by Dr. Reddy's to come over and show our work in packaging to them. Mm -hmm. We were quite surprised, but uh, we soon realized that we were referred by an old friend, 
mm-hmm. who was then working in innovation lab of Dr. Reddy's. So we went to Hyderabad, we met their team and we presented our work. Uh, we had very little work in packaging, mm-hmm. but we did cover other projects that we do, how our focus is around communication design, right. independent of the format that it can and acquire. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they were quite happy to see our work and they were they were genuinely happy because you can make that out in Q&A sessions, the right, kind of right. questions the client is asking. Yeah. But they did admit that we did not have enough, not even enough. We had no work <laughs> done for pharmaceutical companies, right? especially in packaging. Right. So we uh, thought, okay, now that we have come that far, you know, what should we do? Because uh, one thing we have learned at co-design is we hate coming back empty-handed. <laughs> so there was this tea break and me and Mohar discussed, now, what should we do now? Right. You can see the project escaping from yeah, your hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what can we do at this situation? Yeah. So we go back to the meeting room and we propose to the team sitting there. Mm-hmm. But how about we go back mm-hmm. and write a design brief for this project for uh-huh. you guys? And you can use that with other companies if you like. They thought it's a nice gesture and they had nothing to lose. Yeah. So we came back with the simple agreement that we will get back to them with a detailed project brief. Right. For their own project. And why uh, another project brief? They already I had I think one. The, the project brief that we got initially, we felt was not stressing enough on communication design. The project title communication design for Dr. Reddy's Schedule H Drugs right. is our contribution. Ah, okay. The project brief yeah. was visual design for Schedule H Drugs. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. And I can, I can now look back and see why the brief was named so because they had just finished uh-huh. a rebranding exercise. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think they were looking at how to adapt the new brand identity right. on their packaging system. Right. Which is fair, which is a fair ask. But why remove that layer of communication yeah. in pharmaceutical um, packaging? It's a fair the, amount of communication that goes in that. There's a lot of it and critical information. Yeah. So we come back Mm -hmm. and we end up making a four to five pages long detailed design brief Mm -hmm. of what this exercise should include. Right. We included things like learning from the field. Right. That what should this packaging learn from where it travels once it comes out of factory. Mm -hmm. What's Mm -hmm. happening at stockists and distributors. What's happening at a chemist level. what's happening at hospital level and what's happening all the way to a personal medicine box level. We all have that, you know. A decade back, uh, we used to have old biscuit tin box in which you will find uh, (laughs) generic medicine. But now people have started keeping medicine boxes. uh, So we included all that, that the visual design part will be informed by this previous stage. And the other thing we stressed upon was because eventually this new design will be applied to around 300 plus products. Right. How do you deliver a system? Mm. Uh, Dr. Reddy has in-house team mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, designers and uh, software operators mm-hmm. who are going to be adapting the new system onto every pack right. in the factory. Right. Our proposal actually had all these stages laid out. Right. We submitted that proposal and soon after we are called again 
this time to present the brief to them. <laughs> this was our first, I think, where we are not presenting our work, but we are presenting a design brief that we have made for our client. And it almost became not a presentation, but a workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, to sum it up, they understood that we know how to tackle communication design and the packaging for Schedule H drugs right. will be the vehicle of that. Ah, right. Mm. And I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is these two meetings, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a relationship has been built. Now they trust you with what you're saying. Right, 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 right. So yeah, that's the background story. That's how we got the project. Right. And also like pharmaceutical branding is a very serious work and uh, can we get into details of that project now? Yes, we realized that making the design brief or stage one, it was important. Mm -hmm. But once you get the project, mm -hmm. now you are in the middle of this challenge. Right. And it's not one challenge, there are many challenges. Like? Like the design brief, we also articulated the challenges and shared it with our client. Mm -hmm. and so we like working very closely with our clients. Mm -hmm. So there were a set of five challenges that we outlined mm -hmm. because they had gone for a brand refresh or rather rebranding. Right. The first one was creating a differentiated brand recognition and recall. Right. And second one was identifying all the opportunities for enhancing clarity of communications. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this comes from their new brand philosophy, which was patient first. Mm -hmm. Now, patient first will be applied everywhere in the company. Right. But for us, in our context, in packaging design, right. patient first in yeah. packaging meant clarity of communication. Yeah. You're putting patient first. Yeah. The third one was achieving a systematic consistency across vast number of products. Yeah. And I'm talking about 300 brands which result in 550 plus SKUs. SKU would mean? SKUs are a stock keeping unit. Uh -huh. It basically means each product is a unique ID. Okay, okay. So why 300 brands will result in more SKUs means one brand can have variants. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah. all the unique offerings are SKUs. Uh -huh, okay. The fourth one was, and this was challenging, mm -hmm. adhering to very, very stringent regulations in Schedule H drugs sector in India. Yeah, which are quite strict and for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. And the last one, which I believe some of us sometimes miss out. Mm -hmm. You know, we design a system for a client, but we need to understand that after we hand over a project, yeah. the client and their subsequent agencies have to carry forward that. Yeah. <laughs> Do they understand it exactly the way you intended it to be? So the last one was important, which was enabling deployment of the system, but at a rapid pace. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. And the other important factor is by the existing manpower they had. Right. These are all design considerations. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to hire new people and, you know, through the existing group. Yeah. So these challenges were outlined and shared with clients and there was a back and forth of this. We had a good feeling about it because we were doing this project here. Remember? Piano, piano. <laughs> setting firm foundations for it. Setting the right goals. Right. The other challenge that comes, and especially in our case, because we have not done 
pharmaceutical packaging over and over and over again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is familiarizing yourself in this world of pharmaceuticals. Right. So I think this was an exercise over a few weeks where our team was visiting uh, stockists, you know, from the factories. This is one of the first points where the medicines come. Right. Uh, you can have Dr. Reddy's dedicated warehouse or there are many multi-brand warehouses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So basically, these are the places from which all the chemists get their medicines. Get their medicine, right. And then we have to look at what happens to these medicines when they reach chemists. Yeah or hospitals mm -hmm. and all the way till they reach home or individuals. Right. The second exercise was right here in the studio. In fact, this room where we are sitting, this was dedicated for Dr. Reddy's. Ah, uh, okay. So we were literally dissecting their portfolio. We had so many boxes medicines here, primary uh -huh. packaging, secondary packaging. And we were looking at, I can show you the image. This is what's happening in the studio. Oh. Of, is this image available online on your yes. website? Yeah, it's, so it's uh, under our website when you go and see Dr. Reddy's project, right. you can see all right. the process images. I'll leave the link in the podcast notes so people can look at it. So this is a stage where visual design has Hasn't. started, <laughs> just like what we were talking about in uh, yeah. Royal Enfield. Yeah. We are understanding the current scenario, the current portfolio. Yeah. The portfolio study was limited to Dr. Reddy's because we are working for them. But we were also looking at best practices elsewhere, other companies. Uh -huh. So what we were doing is we were just dissecting every side of pack, hmm. looking hmm. at the kind of information we have. Right. We were plotting it, plotting it for ourselves and plotting it for discussions with the client. So these are the two activities we are doing. Mm -hmm. Where do these medicines travel? Right. And the medicines and their packs themselves were right. being studied. This is what we call sense-making stage. Uh -huh. Now that we have familiarized ourselves, now the two things that I talked in detail, apart from that, we had multiple workshops and discussions with the client team. Mm -hmm. We had uh, discussions with the legal team. We tried to understand point of view of the marketing teams and mm -hmm. sales team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we are at a stage where we are comfortable because we familiarized ourselves yeah, with yeah. this vertical. Right. And we have familiarized ourselves with uh, the challenges of packaging. Right. So now that this familiarization exercise has happened and we've had detailed workshops with the client, one important next step is you start defining your approach. Mm -hmm. You define your approach and you articulate the goals. Mm -hmm. What are the innovation goals? within right. our context of the project. Right. The, the question that you ask is at this point, and you need to actually ask such questions very regularly during any project. Right. Is what is the goal of this project? Uh -huh. In the due course of a project, and especially when you're dealing with a lot of information, right. sometimes you need to step back and keep reminding yourself. Yeah, there's some something else apart from this that you're trying to achieve on the higher level. Yes. So the project's goal was to build a systematic, sustainable and scalable framework for variation. I'll explain what variation means. Mm -hmm. We are not going to design 300 packs for them. Mm -hmm. We are designing all the unique packs for them. Right. And post that, they will be adapted. Uh -huh. Now, by variables, I mean, if you go to a chemist shop, uh -huh. you have things available in a bottle, mm -hmm. 
you know, the formats are also a small injection wires. Right. They can be a strip of 10 tablets. Right. They can be a half a liter bottle. They right. can be a secondary pack, which is, let's say, the size of your uh, iPad. Right. It can have an external carton. Right. It may not have external carton. Right. May have a secondary packaging or it may not have a secondary packaging. Right, right, right. For certain drugs, it's just uh, one packaging that serves. Right. It has to work for all sizes. Right. And all forms. Right. The cuboids, the cylinders, the plane strips. Right. So the design project then addressed three innovation tracks, we call them. Now, these are tracks that may or may not run parallelly, but these three tracks were identified. Mm-hmm. You can call them phases of design or you can call them tracks. Mm-hmm. The first one was information design. Right. Now, you have a lot of content. You need to understand how to handle it. Right. You, know, you need to understand the architecture of that. Right. How do you logically group information? Right. So that's information design. Also, how people read it. Yeah, the, the sequencing, of, sequencing that, yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. The second phase is visual design. Right. Now you have information design ready. Mm-hmm. Now you need to have a layer of visual design that is going to represent that information. Right. Just like in user experience design, there's something called information architecture. Yeah. And then... Then, then uh, you get wireframes. Wireframes. Mm-hmm. And then they simply use the term... Uh, skinning. Vis- visual design. Skinning. <laughs> yeah, skinning. Skinning. <laughs> uh, skinning, I find like... Yeah, it's I a, find that quite funny though. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so the parallels were similar here. Right. Mm. And once visual design system is done, mm-hmm. the third one in this uh, case, which is a quite an important one, is workflow design for deployment. Okay. So these yeah. are the three stages. Right. So that somebody independently can think and apply that workflow. Yeah. And we are we are not just delivering visual design. We have to deliver a system because some other team sitting around 1700 kilometers from the studio yeah. is going to sit yeah. and do it independently yeah. if they understand the system right. Yeah. So again, now familiarization has happened. We have got three distinct stages to right. work with. Right. And the first one uh, being information design. So that's when you sit with information in hand. Remember when we talked about while we were looking at stockists and chemists, mm-hmm. there's a team which is also looking at the current portfolio, trying to understand information on PACs, mm-hmm. but also taking inputs from other departments, right. legal and sales and marketing. Right. So you can't do information design without defining who the users are because that information is for someone. Exactly. So you start with um, who are you designing for? So there again, we identified three key user sets. Mm-hmm. Patients, stockists and pharmacists, right. and medical practitioners. Mm-hmm. On our side, you'll see this infographic where we have illustrated, you know, what are the primary needs of these. Right. For example, for patients, you know, they need to make sure that they buy and use medicines as prescribed by a doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For stockists and pharmacists, they need to organize and pick out products quickly. Right. So visibility is key there. Yeah. For medical practitioners, they need to be sure that they are administering the right dosage. So these are snippets from conversations. Right. It's from the concerns you have identified yeah. during yeah. the familiarizing phase. Yeah. Now, let's say box out there. Right. That box, which has, let's say, 20 strips, 
Right. The primary user is likely to be a stockist and a chemist because okay. a patient doesn't usually buy in bulk. Yeah. <laughs> so there you are looking at giving primary focus for certain packaging yeah. to a user. Right, right, right. So the box usually is bought by the... The stockist, the pharmacist. So the information on it and the design of it should serve the stockist yeah. first. So there, product identification was given high priority. Mm, I see. Because as an individual, mm. it is important. Yeah. But I don't interface with the box as, right. as, as a patient. Right. So based on the user types... Mm -hmm. This information was logically grouped and structured. Right. And by then we had also dissected every possible kind of information, clustered them in logical groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were uh, 10 such groups that we came up with. Uh -huh. And we coded them as uh -huh. just numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way till 10. Right. For example, some of the codes were safety and efficacy information was one group. Mm -hmm, Instruction mm -hmm. for use was another group. Mm -hmm. Retailer and stockist information related was one group. Right. So on and so forth. Right. This was important for us as internal team. Uh -huh. Because now we have clusters, we now have understood every kind of information that will go in the pack. Right. But it was also a great raw material for later when we are deploying the system. And these information groups were then plotted on different pack formats. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. We discussed there are different kinds of packs, right? So yeah. different shapes and different volumes. Right. So it became easy for us that you have these coded numbers from 1 to 10. Yeah. And now we could take all the sides, if there was a 3D shape, right. or if it was just a strip, how do we then design the flow of this information clusters? Right. Because right in the beginning, one of the goals was systems design. Mm -hmm. You have still not jumped to the visual design part because you're cracking this. Because if anything goes wrong here, or if you miss yeah. out anything at this stage, you have to go back to understanding the content. Right, right, right. So we're right. layering everything very carefully so that we exhaust every stage. We understand everything about it. Yeah. And we are working in codes now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course, we will need it when we start visual design, but someone else later on is going to need it. Yeah. So we've finished information grouping and structuring and flow is done. Mm -hmm. And there was one more important, when you're doing information design, we also touched upon the language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're not taking every bit of content as is. Mm -hmm. You have by now developed a habit of reading your content. <laughs> and you yeah. are now starting to question certain things. Right. Why is this information repeating thrice? Right. On a single pack. We highlighted some of these issues, again sat with clients team and we realized that over the years in this industry, adding information is safer than questioning the existing one and deleting it. Right. <laughs> you change any word, yeah. you have to get the certificate again. Oh, right. So you're cramming up more and more information. Uh -huh. But they understood. We had uh, logically sort of highlighted certain issues. They understood that there's some information was repeating that need not repeat. Right. So we could delete some part because remember, we are soon going to face space crunch. There's mm. a lot of information and most of our SKUs have less space to accommodate that. Right. We have right. a patient first philosophy which means we actually want people to read that. 
right rather right. than just somehow force that content onto that rectangle uh, it's not a checklist it's not a checklist yeah i'll give you an example of some changes in the content itself we suggested mm-hmm. so for example the older packaging said dosage as directed by the physician mm-hmm. we changed it to dosage as directed by the doctor right complete the course as prescribed by the doctor for most effective results with this medicine right now here if you notice we ended up adding content but that's okay because you need to have clarity of communication first yeah and then your design skills will ensure that you will fit it well respectably yeah and it will still be readable yeah the and other still kind of, look aesthetically fine yes that it was meant to be that way yeah <laughs> 15 people are not packed in an elevator which was meant for 12 people right so now we're done with information design mm-hmm. and here comes visual design mm-hmm. so visual design in this case again involved not just laying out the content in a meaningful way Mm-hmm. but also take into account the new brand identity right, of Dr. Reddy respecting Redis, that respecting that mm-hmm. because remember one of the goals was to have high brand recall mm-hmm. this had multiple challenges again for example variants of a product brand there you will notice in chemists and as well as stockists all mm-hmm. the variants are kept right next to each other mm-hmm. because the name starts with the same alphabet it's the same name right mm-hmm. but one of the variant can be for kids mm-hmm. the dosage change yes uh-huh the big difference so they are lying right next to each other mm. end of the day the chemist is tired and he's not paying attention or you know the muscle memory comes into play and he picks it up and we had uh, audited the existing packaging and we had identified these issues already right that the color differentiation of variants was not distinct enough Right, right, right. It's light blue and blue, or like even blue that. or uh, green, which was very close to blue. Right, uh, right, right. I see. But we had to come up with a system that will not just work for three hundred products, but will also work for future. Right. <laughs> so yeah, these were challenges that you know visual design throws at you. The other common challenges for visual design was visibility of brand name on shelves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This came from one of the observations and also from a client that when chemists stock medicines on uh, shelves, they don't have that kind of a time that they will ensure that only one face of the box will be facing them. Ah, right. Mm. So you now need to ensure that at least four faces have the medicine name on it. So yeah. all this information plotting that we talked earlier comes mm-hmm. in handy here. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. certain kind of information code let's say one is actually being repeated and it's now taking if not four two large faces already yeah yeah right? so the rest of the information has to now go on remaining faces now so these me. are uh, what i call the macro issues right. and now the part i love most is the micro detailing part <laughs> yeah yes. there are stages of puzzles yeah it's like a box inside a box of problems <laughs> yeah. and you have to solve the last millimeter of that right we took a lot of time to study the way instructions illustrations were being done 
Right. The way icons were used on packaging. I'll give you an example which I clearly remember. You know, there are these medicines which the box actually contains two formulations. One right. will be liquid form, the other, let's say, is powder form. Right. The end user has to take these two. He has to mix them in a certain way. He has to shake it in a particular way and then consume it in a particular time frame. Right. Now you need to tell all this in, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in 7 millimeter by 24 or 27, or I, I think around that area. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And these instructions are specially designed for people who can't read. Right. So and for people who can read, it ensures that they can double check that they are doing it right because right. there are written instructions also with it. Right. You know, you're aware uh, the challenges of designing these tiny illustrations in small size. Mm -hmm. So you're designing them on large screens and then printing them at a size they will be used, right. checking if they are easy to decode, go back to drawing, yeah. change it, print it at small size, <laughs> and you keep doing that till you get it right. Right, Remember right, the discussion right. we had on Royal Enfield uh, logo being redrawn slightly right. for screen. So a lot of such illustrations as well as uh, icons and uh, me and my colleagues, I think we get high doing these micro corrections, <laughs> what I call the invisible craftsmanship. Right. Nobody will know what has gone behind making that syringe icon, which is two millimeter high. Yeah. And then you have to be aware of the production methods. Right. Because printing on paper is, okay, well understood, but yeah. printing it on a metallic foil mm -hmm. is different. Yeah, there are shine and other things. There yeah, are you have reflections. Also, it's, you're competing it's with. like a deboss or emboss, right? It's a deboss? Oh, well, it uh, depends if the, if it's large, but in small, just the printing itself is not as fine as inks coming on yeah, paper. Yeah, 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 yeah. The substrate has that property. Yes. So we are now getting into the minute details and we shouldn't stay away from the typography part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, this kind of a packaging exercise, uh, the font and the arrangement of fonts, which is typography, plays an important role. Right. Now, not because there is space crunch, but there is hierarchy that has to be very clear. Right. And I never knew that just the legal requirements will have that kind of a relationship with typography. <laughs> right. So I think at some point we realized we were struggling with the font that we were working with. Mm -hmm. Their house font was circular. And we tested it, it worked great at small sizes. But the problem was it did not have a condensed version. Uh. You cannot use a font in pharmaceutical packaging if you don't have a condensed version of it. Right. So we talked to the client, we should commission this foundry to make a condensed version, but we were running out of time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, client did not take much time to be convinced about. They understood the importance of this exercise. So this new drawing of condensed circular was commissioned. It's actually wow. called DRL Circular Condensed. Oh. DRL stands for Dr. Reddy's Laboratories. So we eventually had that font and it really helped us in some of those space crunch scenarios when we finally done with the visual design part. Right. And then comes the last and very important stage of this project, which is a workflow design. 
Right. It's not just a system design of the packaging design that we are talking about. We were also designing a workflow design. Right. It's like designing algorithm for other people so that they can make it. Well, in a way, yeah. The way you went to meet stockists and um, chemists, we also spent considerable amount of time with their in-house design team. Right. Hmm. To understand what are their skills like. Mm -hmm. They were used to working on different softwares than we work with. Right. So when we started working on visual design, we advised our client to change the softwares at their end and start training their employees on the new software. Whoa. <laughs> so they had enough time to learn the new softwares while we are finishing this project. Yeah, yeah. And of course, after meeting them, we understood their skill level, the way they work, the flow within the department. The time they have. How the proofing happens. What's the chain of command of approvals? Oh. <laughs> so once we understood that, we designed this workflow, right. which actually started from very simple shape. Is your starting shape a rectangle uh, in portrait format or landscape format? Is it a square? Hmm. Start from there, you pick the relevant file from our you know, folders and we have already worked out the font sizes system, where Dr. Reddy's logo will go. Right. So what they're getting is a well worked out template already. Right. But in a sequence that suited their internal processes. Yeah, so that's one thing I have always faced in some of the work that I do. Till recently, I have not thought about how it will live its life once I have made it. So this is a growing interest in co-design now. But the handover is not the last stage. Right. The last stage is what you see outside on a billboard or an Instagram post done by some other agency Hmm. based on your guidelines. That should be the benchmark. Yeah. If they get it right, that means your guidelines were well thought through. Yeah. Otherwise, it will just look good on your portfolio yes. and not live its life. No, it's lying somewhere here. This folder we made for them. Mm -hmm. We made it so easy for them to navigate, you know, the step-by-step -step process of reaching the final design. And uh, I remember me and you were earlier talking about the invisible design. How certain projects get talked about within design community. While projects like these, I don't know the reason. Uh, because I, I find these projects so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not because they are challenging. I mean, every project is challenging. Well, because you're solving a puzzle and then you realize you're actually solving multiple puzzles at yeah. the same time. And it's not a game which you can say, oh, I don't get it. Right. When you start working on this puzzle, one thing is known that you have to crack it. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. a computer game you can shut and walk <laughs> away. You have to crack it. Right. So that's the beauty of such design projects that yeah, they also. have to work. They cannot work partially. Right. Also, like people don't show in general appreciation for this kind of work. I think probably they can't see the value directly or are we not communicating the value of this kind of work in the industry? Or? Partially both. So I can only talk about our side. I think we do not pay due respect to such projects by not documenting it well. So this reminds me of uh, the discussion I was having with Itu on my podcast. He said, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing. It's not a uh, 
verbatim but what he said was something like uh, graphic designers are not good at communicating the value of design to non-designers or to businesses that's what he meant i guess yeah he's right uh, we should take out time and make an effort to document these well, talk about it. I think we also need some help from mainstream media. They should also be in the lookout for behind the scenes of project rather than just talk about output. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, our reach to the public is very limited. Mm-hmm. We are a profession where graphic designers follow other graphic designers on social <laughs> media. But I understand the role documentation plays. Mm. We need to do more, I guess, yeah, because we finished this project and we had to quickly move on to next project. <laughs> Should we talk about next project? Yeah. So like Wildcraft is India's most loved homegrown brand of outdoor outfitters. So Co-Design was commissioned to create a brand identity for them. And uh, what was the brief like and uh, how did you approach that problem? And I've seen the kind of work that you have put behind it especially that image that became viral among the Indian design fraternity on social media where you had a room filled with brush lettering of the Wildcraft. A hall full of brush lettering. Yeah. And still we had few stacks of paper. (laughs) Yeah, on the side. So for Wildcraft, we again um, worked with the Future Brands team. So Future Brands team was commissioned to look at where should the brand go? How should it be positioned? But what was the reason for rebrand? Uh, were they not doing well? or were, were... So, see, like many homegrown brands, Wildcraft started, I think, from a room uh-huh. by outdoor enthusiasts who could not find quality gear. Uh-huh. Mid-90s, I don't think the brands from America and Europe were available in India. Uh-huh. And, so you wouldn't and, get Kecha or something like that in India? You no, know, I'm talking about North Face like brands. Uh-huh. So, and even if you could get your hands on those, they were very expensive. You, you, you'll get a rucksack for like 20,000 rupees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so the founders were crazy. They, they, they started making their own products. For themselves? I don't think at that time they were thinking of making a company. Right. And when they started using it, the other people started asking, this is what I've heard. So they started asking and people, they thought the quality was great and where can we get it from? And these people one day realized, looks like there's a market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's where Wildcraft comes from, organically growing from a house, Uh uh a hobby for which they required quality products. Mm -hmm. It's like you you felt there was no content on design discussion, so instead of waiting, you made a podcast. Right. These guys made products. Right. And and they grew slowly, uh, but then, you know, growth is tricky because by then, Indian market has opened up. There are other brands available. And these guys were also making good stuff, but you need a shot of money, manpower to take it to next level. Mm-hmm. And I think they had a good track record. Mm-hmm. And so they got investments, especially for R&D mm-hmm. in materials and production. Right. And that they, then they thought it's time now for right. something they never focused on on making a brand. It's mm-hmm. time now to make that also. Right. So the way we worked with Future Brands and Royal Enfield, again, we were brought on board. So we traveled to a few cities um, and we were talking to people we're not necessarily 
climbing what we call top of the mountain, mid mountain, base of the mountain. So it was decided to talk to everyone, even those who just take out their cycles on a weekend and go 60, 70 kilometers in one direction and come back. Uh-huh. Or they're going to city wall climbing facilities. Right. Why are they doing this? <laughs> you know, definitely they're yeah. not climbing uh, Mount Everest. Right. And you can't really manufacture only for those serious guys because those are less in number. Right. And the other problem is those guys know what to buy. Right. Their life depends on them. Right. That equipment. Right. And it's, that's like high pro level sort of thing, yeah. right? So even though you have capability to do that, you have to wait. Mm. You have to gain confidence. And how do you gain confidence? Because people are not buying it. So how about getting into other segments where people's life is not dependent? Right. You know? so, <laughs> or it's perfectly fine to wear a Wildcraft shirt to office. Right, 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 right. So get into the mainstream, let people feel the quality. When they're coming to retail, they will start seeing the mid-mountain and top of the mountain products. And right. then, you know, there's a relationship. Then I trust you. Right, right. This quest to find out why are people now, for past like almost uh, 10 years or so, suddenly Indians have woken up to this, this hunger for newer experiences. Mm -hmm. from their nine to six jobs. You know, mm -hmm. weekends they travel out, but they don't necessarily plan a one-week trip to Himalayas, they're perfectly fine to go to Lonavla and come back. Right, right, right. Or just uh, take a cycle trip with friends. Yeah, hashtag wanderlust. Wanderlust, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, I think the quest was this whole, this, this part, which is uh, this whole, whole new imagination of the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And what Santosh's team does best is pulling out that one meaningful drop out of this complex world. Mm -hmm. And they come up with, people are doing this for sensorial awakening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what they did with Royal Enfield, that why so much love for an old brand? Mm -hmm. is because they enabled motorcycling in India. Right. So pure motorcycling became right. that anchor point. These are not taglines. Yeah, these are, these these are, are spirit reference of thing, points. Right? Yeah. The spirit of the reason why people want to do... So we started working on this project. We took this brush, the cliched brush stroke mm -hmm. of if city life is the straight line. Geometric line. Geometric line. Right. This liberated line of mm. outdoors mm -hmm. is raw. Mm. Like a brush stroke. Right. And that's when we drew that W which looks like a mountain range. Right. Need not Reminiscent look, of that. Yeah. yeah need not look like a mountain. Of course. Because it's also a W. And right. W's are not meant to be mountains. <laughs> but there's an opportunity there staring at you. You start with that. It, it also has this feeling that it, it's a, a, like a bird. If I may. This sense of freedom, freedom right. put in it, it reminds you of mountains and even if it does not, it's perfectly fine, it's W. It can come on a bag, on a jacket and A for Apple and W for Wildcraft. It's right. an age-old formula, nothing new with that, but the quality of stroke right. should still be what I feel when I pack my bags and left the city behind. Uh, Some sort of a reminder of that, <laughs> that bird that you saw in it. Yeah, 
No, that that's one thing. When I talk to other uh, designers who are my peers, uh, when I see them critiquing a logo or trying to just see a logo, they a lot of people forget this aspect of uh, logo design or graphic design in general. You can call it semiotics of it. It's like in the back of your mind, you don't know actively, but in the back of your mind, I mean, the person who has first or for the first time interacted with it. They can feel what you're trying to say. Yeah, I feel that's the power of graphic design. And you need to see it in context. When you see it on a product right. or in a campaign, right. it's surrounded by that context. Mm -hmm. uh, critiquing things in isolation doesn't hold well for logo or for a human no, or no, I, for I, I, a, I, any or a country. Nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we can't solve that problem because isolating something, then you need to also isolate the parameters. Right. No, no, what I meant actually is something else. No, no, I, I get what you're saying. I, uh, I, I'm trying to uh, say that like some of my friends ask me, they will send across like, okay, I'm choosing these three typefaces. Hmm. Which one do you feel is right for this project? And hmm. I want to talk about this personality or so on. Hmm. I'm talking personality that a form can give. So when I try to talk to them about it, it seems like that vocabulary they don't have, it doesn't exist there. You can only develop a vocabulary about these things if you are in love with it. Uh. If you can't stare at a, at a set of letters for one hour and not call it waste of time. If you can't do that, you should start looking for some other profession. Because uh. they, you, you, you know, sometimes people say, oh, but nobody will notice. Firstly, are you noticing it? Mm -hmm. And do not underestimate what people notice a lot. Right. Yeah, they they notice that. and people are more and more noticing things. A well-crafted, well-organized, well-worked out in terms of hierarchy label of a, a, a garment tells me that this brand cares. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it, you don't get it once, maybe you don't get it twice. But because there are other brands coming today in the market, there are enough Indian brands who are doing it, mm -hmm. then you start seeing a difference. Right. See, if everything was badly designed, right. then it's okay. Like you don't ah. really know what is good. But ah. now, because some people are doing it right, <laughs> you start noticing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And wait a second. There's something about it that has been done with care and love. Right. Which means the chances of them making that product with the same enthusiasm and mm. care and mm. love are mm. high. When you start seeing more examples of well done stuff, mm -hmm. you start seeing bad stuff. Right. Because right. now there is a contrast. <laughs> it's like it's like you have tasted a good coffee. Good coffee, yeah. And you cannot come back to. Otherwise, you the can't generation. come back to Nescafe. You know, uh, <laughs> how many people you will find talking about iPhone boxes? They never mm. used to talk about boxes simply because they did not know that boxes are supposed to be that good. <laughs> right. So let's come back to Wildcraft where we left that discussion. So yeah, you were talking about. Uh, logo how it developed so how it was developed and but it was also developed along with other things we were actually developing a language mm -hmm. not a logo and then everything follows so rawness happened before the logo because logo had to visual hook what we were talking visual about hook, yeah. visual so hook yeah so if you look at the set of illustrations done in a particular way their environmental graphics for their office i actually love these uh, and then when we reached uh, 
a stage where we went back to the client and said, you know, now that this seems to be working, this brush thing, I think we should design our own font. And I also told them that there are hundreds of them lying around. Mm, of similar genre. Yeah. Right. But they are, they are not, not you. there. They are not you. But by then we had done Wildcraft lettering. So I told them we will base that on Wildcraft lettering. So we have few letter forms already done. We'll base it on that. Mm -hmm. If I had introduced this idea on day one, uh. <laughs> but by then they figured we expect this much and they come back with this huge thing. People are not. Yeah, hmm. so they trust you with that. Right. And then we went for this exercise and brush lettering to, to do a serious brush letting font, we realized it's bloody tough. And that's the image you were talking about, our hall, which is... Uh, we are looking at uh, this image on Co-Design's website on Wildcraft project uh, page. It's a picture of stag pages. You may yeah. want to elaborate. Yeah, yeah. so this uh, hall we have in the studio, which is around 12-ish meter by three and a half, four meters. Uh -huh. The whole floor was full with exploration sheets and still we could not fill it. So there is around uh, around 700 sheets extra lying there. <laughs> but just... Uh, and each sheet has around, uh, let's say, uh, 16 letters? Uh, around, yeah, six, around 18 letters. 18 letters, right. So yeah, that's few thousands of uh, letter form explorations. Um, then we picked out few, but then we decided, okay, now that we have so many of them, right. so we were anyway doing all caps. So we right. basically put uh, one set as lowercase and one set uppercase. So if you are writing summer, right. you'll get two M's. Uh -huh. By just by pressing shift, you get an alternate letter. Oh, okay, okay, right. So we, we thought, okay, might as well then give alternates because then it looks natural, right? Brush lettering, you're not supposed to have the same M right next to each other, yeah. same A or same yeah. E. Yeah. So it, Simulation <laughs> of that brush Simulation of that. Yeah. Actually, there is a background to this lettering exercise, uh, which I should talk about. We had devised visual identity guidelines in which we had suggested short, crisp headlines with large impactful font sizes. So now that coupled with a distinct brush lettering helped the brand with a very powerful recall. I don't know if you have seen the uh, Wildcraft billboards. The brush lettering plays a very important role in being a brand asset. Yeah. Also, uh, I want to add another word to it, like building of perception. I think perception is something that people uh, generally don't use in the vocabulary while branding, but perception is a big, 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 big thing. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, yeah. And, and, and everything is dependent on you know, if you make uh, bad products and yeah. great graphics, right. it's not going to, it will look like shit graphics. Right. No, that's true. But also, yeah. but it's perception. Building a perce uh, consciously building a perception yeah. that a brand should have. Yeah. But if, if it's known that the products or services of your client will remain of high quality, right. then good graphic design is visually enabling the brand that we are there to support right, the right, good stuff right. that you're doing. It's more believable. It's, it's like somebody, it's, it's, somebody uh, has good ideas to share. Graphic design gives them a really good uh, outfit and uh, styling also. Yeah, so and relevance. Relevance. Yeah, relevance and it does look like an outdoor adventure mm -hmm. billboard to some extent and right. it, it visually helps the messaging. That's our job. Mm -hmm. Our job is to ensure that when a client has to say something, mm -hmm. we don't come in the way. 
we right. we give it a little push mm. we give it a better visibility we 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 provide visual meaning to it give it right voice yeah yeah giving it the right voice giving yeah. it the right tone right tone yeah that's all we do and mm. uh, and it's bloody difficult to do <laughs> and that makes yeah. it that makes it interesting so yeah so let's talk about one of your recent projects Co-Design worked on the branding and identity design for Script, a new brand by Godrej and Boyce. Script is a furniture brand that addresses emerging needs of contemporary lifestyle and home spaces. So how did you get that project and what happened next? How did you approach the solution? This project is interesting, not just because of what we did, but how it turned out to be as a background story like many other background story to our projects. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a good example of how you get into a project and the initial findings itself change the course of the project completely. Mm -hmm. So I would like to talk about that part. Okay, uh, let's hear that out. So we were initially contacted to rebrand their existing furniture brand company. Which is? Godrej Interior. Oh yeah. Um. So we've all known Interior for many years. Yeah. So it was supposed to be a brand refresh exercise. Mm -hmm. So during the initial phase of the project, we were as usual meeting all the stakeholders from our client side, mm -hmm. the marketing team, sales team, the management, right, designers. And we were also uh, looking at different formats of the stores they have in Delhi and Bombay. So we were familiarizing ourselves with the kind of products they have, the target audience that they are catering to. These are very large stores, and yeah. sometimes multiple floors. Mm -hmm. During one of our interactions with the product design team, we realized something, something was different there or something was not fitting in. Mm -hmm. If I take a step back, it also came from a question that we had asked that, you know, when we refresh a brand, mm -hmm. are we changing the product line? Are we introducing a newer aesthetic? Mm -hmm. Are we adding new verticals to existing portfolio? Right. What has changed that has triggered the need for a refresh? Yeah. We always believe that the product offerings are mm -hmm. the primary source of meaning for a brand mm. because you know communication says something but end of the day it's the product or the services that our, a client offers that best reflect what they're offering right it's the most tactile offering they have right right so obviously interactions with the design uh, and development teams were important mm -hmm. so during one of the meetings when they were showing us the new lineup of products we realized that all these products, they were very different than what Godrej Interior offers. Mm. I know Godrej Interior as a company that produced a product of certain kind I have seen since my childhood. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, office furniture, right. those iconic steel almiras. Yeah, <laughs> which I didn't know that it was unique to this part of the world. In a way. <laughs> yes. In a way, yeah. So when we looked at the new products and uh, we were looking at products at conceptual stage, we were looking at products at a 3D model stage, we were looking at prototypes. Right. We were very lucky to be called in at that stage hmm. where products were themselves being developed. Right. So we could be part of those discussions 
uh-huh. to like what is being selected or right. the feedback that's being given or what moves ahead for production, what gets stopped. That right. always gives you a good sense of what is the client thinking? What's the intent? Right. So as I mentioned earlier, the products looked very different than the current portfolio mm-hmm. because there was a slight quirk to all these products. When we dug deeper and we asked more about why they are designing what they're designing, we realized that the team is actually focusing on new urban needs, which is very different than Godridge Interior. And I'll get back to the new urban needs in some time. At this point, we go back to our client and say, we feel that what you are developing right now will not fit interior brand. There's a certain image, there's a certain expectation from this brand. Yeah, certain perception also. Yes. So we may end up confusing the customers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, eventually it was decided that it's better that Godridge launches a new brand altogether and mm. not mix this new lineup in uh, Interior's portfolio. Right. So that's what I meant initially, that sometimes when you start a project, you just don't know where it will go what course it will take, you know, mm-hmm. what, what kind of information you will interface with once when you are in the inquiry phase. Right. But here in this case, the client was very open and they also realized that, you know, maybe this is the right opportunity to start a new brand altogether. Right. So this is interesting part of design process. It's when you are doing a branding exercise, mm-hmm. you can't do it in isolation. It's done by definitely two constant participants. The consultant, in this case co-design, and the client, Godrich. So it's important to have that kind of relationship with the client. Yes, you are together going to make a brand. Right. So we probed further on the reason for those quirks that I mentioned in the products, the way they were designed. And we came to know that their design department was already studying this new urban living. Okay. Hmm. So they were designing for a specific target audience. And you know that urban home living today is different than what it was a couple of decades back. Right. Or even uh, a decade back. Even a decade back. It throws up new sets of challenges uh, via social behavior changes, changes in family structures. Availability of space has changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have started traveling a lot. So our aspirations are beyond the country. Right. Right. We have a global exposure of lifestyle and design. And also people move a lot these days. Yes, they move a lot. And remember, that's an important part for furniture design. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So all this, the newness, you know, this necessitates a reimagination of furniture. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what the product design team was doing. Mm. So it's interesting to note what's happening here. The client side, their design department, is designing products based on an understanding Mm -hmm. of what's going on today. Right. Right. We, as consultants, our job now is to look at how do we understand this target audience beyond just the furniture part, right? They don't really think about furniture 24 by 7. Right. And also furniture facilitates something else. Yes. Yeah. It's a means to another end, which is living. And in our country, a dining table can become a working desk. Yeah. Or it can be, you know, after you wash vegetables, it's used for drying that. You know, all kinds of usages. Yeah. 
Now, so consultant in this case, co-designs, our role is then to expand upon this new urban living. Mm -hmm. So we started looking at what is this audience doing in workspaces? What are the changes happening in their workspaces? Right. What are the new food habits mm -hmm. that urban India has? What's happening in art, fashion? We're just trying to look at their rest of the world, not yeah. just around furniture. The full ecosystem. Yeah. What are they exposed to? Right. Right. Mm. This is interesting jugal banding. I think I used this earlier also, this concept, where the client and the branding consultant mm -hmm. are learning from what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And then we are also learning from the external world, which in this case is our audience. Right? Mm. So what have we done till now? We have moved away from this exercise of refresh or rebrand interior to brand a completely new mass premium brand. Mm -hmm. So now you will start seeing how anyway they were different. Right. While interior was a budget brand. True. So you come to a stage where all that you have learned, you now need to frame it into a core brand idea. And this is what will become a North Star for the brand, their marketing team, the communications team. This is that document which summarizes the point of view of a brand. Right. This is one exercise we do before starting with the visual design, right? Mm -hmm. To get the essence of a brand right. Mm. The answers are always there. One just needs to make sense of that, synthesize it, and put it as a delivery. Right. So we've understood the new living part. What is Godridge doing? They're designing for this new living. So design for new living was the essence, the core brand idea. Ah. That's how we came about it. Right. It sounds simple, but it, it's uh, clear. It, it's clear. clarity in this, yeah. We believe that if the core idea is not clear, simple and easy to understand, how will people who are not part of this exercise understand it? Right. right. Sometimes we end up just confusing even internal teams hmm. by jargon. Right. <laughs> it was, it's right there. Right. And we then explained every word of that. You know, it's not just saying design because everyone uses the word design these days. Mm -hmm. No, there is a design department which was in the most sensitive way designing post-observing the new user. And after understanding their new requirements, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So design word comes from there in this. Mm -hmm, right. And the new living is how the way we live has changed. Right, that's why the word new. Yeah, yeah. that was the new. So designed for new living. That's where every decision you take, everything now you make or design is passed through this. Is it designed for new living? If it's not, you know, out. It, out. Yeah. I wanted to cover this aspect of the project for the Makes podcast. Sense. Then, of course, you get into creating a brand identity system. Mm -hmm. It was a very elaborate exercise. We worked not just on the static design, but on motion design, sonic design for the brand. Yeah. And uh, I would encourage the listeners to go to the site and look at all the details. Yeah, I'll add a link on the podcast notes. But there are two other things that I want to talk about, which were quite distinct in this project compared to other projects. One was the photography guidelines that we created for the brand. And, you know, again, this comes from insights. You know, Godridge Interior has been there. Their team was available to us to give all the insights. 
Right. So we are not creating a new brand for a client who is also getting into a new business. Right. Our client has been there, they had great experiences, they had a lot of insights. Mm. And there's one thing that we realized in photography's context, the way furniture and interior design companies showcase their products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example of, 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 let's say you are showcasing a bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we went through a lot of brochures and catalogs of furniture brands. And we saw this pattern where the bed is there. It has been put in an environment, which is a bedroom. Mm-hmm. There is a wallpaper, not just wall paint. There are lamps on the side tables. There's a carpet there. Mm-hmm. There are curtains to complement it. There is yeah. a, there's a dog <laughs> sitting there. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they had the right intention that they want to help people visualize this bed in context. Right. But then every customer has a different context. Right. It limits their imagination of what they can do. In fact, it freezes their imagination to that this is how your bedroom should be. (laughs) <laughs> and this bed will fit in that bedroom only. Only. Sort of. It right. gives you that. It doesn't let me see that bed in isolation. Or it does not let me admire the detail of the bed. It's mm. just competing with too many things. I understand the catalog companies want to sell more products through that image. Right. It's fine. We didn't want to do that for script because mm. every product was thought through. Right. It's not a brand where you go and buy a set of sofas and side tables and TV console as one set. Right. You can actually curate home. Right, right, right You right. can script your home. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's where it comes from, the whole thinking. Nobody these days goes and buys furniture for the whole house. Yeah, exactly. That's a new living. That's a new living, right? <laughs> So we came up with a visual system where, yes, we don't really put the bed on a white background. We do create an environment, but we knew where to stop it. We kept it slightly open. There was a wall, but it was not really a wall. There were other objects, but they were not there to be sold with the bed or to complement it. They were, in fact, in a way, helping you see the character of bed better. So that openness was captured and I'm really happy with uh, the subsequent agencies which then carried on with the project. They did a great job of adhering to the guidelines. I'm really happy with the photography output of this project. Mm. The other part I would like to talk about is actually not part of this project. This project was handed over. Right. And soon after that, we receive um, a request from our client Mm -hmm. because they had started working on the retail design. So they were, I think, at that time opening uh, Bangalore retail. And they sent us this request if we could write script in Kannada script Mm -hmm. because it's a legal requirement. Right. And then if we can do that also in Hindi, because they are now coming to Delhi soon after Bangalore, there again, it's a legal requirement to write name of the store in the local language. Right. So we thought about it a little and we went back to them with a proposal that how about instead of, you know, finding a font and we just render a name, how about we redraw this logo in Indian scripts? Right. So instead of just adhering to some legal requirement, right, right, we show some respect 
to the script, literally. <laughs> and, you know, to take care of every, what I call taking care of every pixel or every millimeter. Right. Taking that opportunity that even when we render the name script in other Indian scripts, let's do it in the same visual language as the Roman script. Mm -hmm. So now you don't have to hide it in one corner. You can actually announce the name of the store in the local language with respect. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I would like to stress this point. You can only propose this to a client if you have built a relationship with them. Right. They were just asking for the name of the brand to be typed out in a particular language. Right, right, right. And we made a project out of that. Wow. <laughs> Definitely not for financial reasons. I would rather say for typography reasons. <laughs> not for typography. Yeah. And we felt that it will do a far better job than just typing it in a form. Yeah, and also giving respect to the logo itself. And uh, rarely have I seen logos from inception made for different scripts. Yeah. Generally, it happens that later on they are adopted. Somebody is commissioned to create that in, let's say, Devnagari or something. Yeah, later on, when, later they, on. when you go to a country. That, that yes, also, right. it happens after like years of operation. Yeah. With Godridge, surprisingly, it was not difficult to convince them. That's a great client. <laughs> so a great client. Oh, Gondrich, yeah, it's a design-led company. There's, a, there's this effort from our side, but then there is a client also who believes in it, and that's, it's, ah. it's a jugulbandi. It's a, you can't do it if only one side wants it. Right. And you have to earn it. Mm -hmm. And just because you're practicing for 15 years, or mm -hmm. 20 years, or 30 years, does not mean the client owe it to you. Mm-hmm. So the day you start believing, oh, I've been in the market for 20 years. <laughs> no. Prove it, convince it, make a demo, make a prototype, help them visualize. They are not designers. Right. You may have all the right intentions and you have visualized it in your head. Right. And you're getting frustrated. Why can't this guy get it? They won't. Mm -hmm. It's the same frustration doctors go with us. Doctor. When, when, when they are telling us things and we are acting all educated, no, but I read online. <laughs> and imagine they're still patiently listening to you and they have spent like years studying medicine and they continue right. to do that because new viruses right. come and new medicines come in. And we, we don't listen to them. Right. But we expect as designers that everyone has to listen to us. Uh -huh. So we forget often that the, sometimes we give a tough time to a plumber man. Yeah, but because so, I know how the pipe is yeah, functioning, right? Right. Or yeah. electrician, where you have no clue what's going on, but you yeah. stand on top of their shoulders. Don't cut that wire. Yeah, <laughs> don't cut the wire. <laughs> I really like that yellow wire. Why did you cut it? So, yeah. so it's that. It's, uh, um, you, 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 need to, you need to work mm -hmm. to, get, to gain some confidence or respect. So what's next for co-design? So Kaval, at co-design, we have very simple aspirations. We would like to become better at what we are doing and we would like to continuously keep improving ourselves. I believe uh, human beings have tremendous potential, so this should be easy to achieve. Dehia, thanks for being on the podcast. It was amazing having you here. No, thank you, Kaval. I'm honored to be part of the lineup that you already have. Thank you so much.
you find conversations like this valuable and want to help me bring you more content like this there are many ways you can support this podcast you can leave a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on you can tell a friend about it or you can also share this podcast on social media you can also extend a financial support to know more about that visit designthisway.com please know that i really appreciate your support and uh, if you have any comments feedback suggestion feel free to get in touch with me on social media or email you can get my email and social media links uh, on my website www.kaval.co in my next episode i have another interesting guest for you so see you soon